Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. glad you've chosen to tune in to DLC, especially if you're staying in, if you're flattening the curve, if you're helping the world by staying home. It's important. We're going to be with you in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free. Thanks to our sponsor this week, Squarespace. Squarespace! Squarespace brings the show to you. DLC, of course, the show all about games. And there are many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I'm your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I'm joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, slash nemesis. The guy who stayed six to ten feet away from me before it was governmentally mandated. Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hello, Jeff. Hello, everyone. That's just how I play defense on basketball. I never understood why no one wanted me on their team, but I, you know, I didn't want to get a charge. I, I respected space. It's you yeah. Know. No, it's good. Yeah, man. You 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 put a, a stiff man to buffer <laughs> to man. Uh huh. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, Christian, this is the episode that I have been waiting for. M- might I say my entire adult life? Uh, because this is a story of a girl who's something, something to that. No, uh, no, this, this is the, uh, this is where I get to talk about half-life Alex. Mm. Uh, and, um, it's a VR game that I'm going to talk a lot about uh, in this episode, but also not just that Christian, <laughs> not just that. Also, we have maybe the greatest guest in the history of, of the show. I'm here every it's, week. It's quite impossible. It's quite possible. Uh, you know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, oh man, I'm excited because DLC stands for your Dave Loadable Chin. Because <laughs> from one of the greatest podcasts ever made and also culturally relevant, <laughs> Mr. David Loadable Chen is joining us. Hello, Dave. Hello, Jeffrey. It's so great to be here. I was wondering if you'd go for the easy acronym with the Dave Chen in the DLC, and uh, you proved me right. I couldn't resist. I couldn't resist. Uh, For listeners that may not be aware, Dave and I co-host the Slash Filmcast along with Devendra Hardwar. Uh, And Dave has been on DLC only as, I think, a sort of special addendum guest. You last heard me describing rather poorly the script the uh plot line of red dead redemption 2 yeah uh, this time i'm a little bit more prepared you're a full guest i think for the first time you're a full guest of the show and i couldn't be more excited to monologue extensively about how yeah, hold, on, hold on one second <laughs> hold on one second yeah dave go ahead please explain red dead 
Um, no, no, I think I'm good. I'll leave it. I'll leave it at the episode that we already made about it. <laughs> uh, I'm excited. You know, I, it's it's a rough time in the world, but we've got video games. We've got video games and friends, and this is a this is an all friends episode. We have usually it's all friends episodes, but uh, these are friends that I've known for a lot longer than than some. So uh, I'm excited to get into it. So let's start the show the way we always do with story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com or by visiting our subreddit. That's 5x5dlc.reddit.com. There's a cool group of folks hanging out there sharing stories, sharing impressions of the show and comments and questions. Really encourage you to check it out. But David Chen, you are our guest. So you've got first pick of stories. What would you consider to be your story of the week? So for my story of the week, I'm going to go with the Nintendo Mini Direct that occurred this week on March 26th. Uh, and they announced a bunch of games coming to the Nintendo Switch. Uh, yeah. So specifically... We got XCOM 2 Collection, which has the XCOM, XCOM 2 DLC packs, uh, Borderlands Legendary Collection, as well as Bioshock, uh, which is all three Bioshock games in one package, Bioshock the Collection there. And also Burnout Paradise is coming yeah. to the Switch. So a cu- couple of things I want to mention about uh, this set of games. First of all, it's kind of a miracle, right, that, uh, hey, Bioshock, remember how mind-blowing and groundbreaking that game was when it first came out? Yes. Now you're going to get to play it on the Switch? You know, like, one day, if you if you told yourself, hey, like, when you're playing the original Bioshock, one day you will be able to play this on a handheld device, and it will look probably pretty close to what it looks like right now. Um, I think younger you would have been pretty impressed. Also, sure. probably you shouldn't. You should probably ignore all that stuff about the pandemic. You don't want to worry younger you. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, um, that would but, be that. <laughs> I want to ask uh, younger me would be like, uh, "Is there anything else I need to know? Anything else I nope. need to know about the nope. future? Nope. Just that, just that Bioshock tidbit. Just the Bioshock oh, thing. That's, that's it. What Nothing I came else. Back to time to tell you. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's good to laugh. Anyway, uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of amazing just to to think about the progress of games from a technological perspective, but also burnout paradise remastered. Uh, That was, you know, I I used to play and still do usually only play about, uh, I don't know, five to eight games per year, you know, like in terms of like playing a a single player version of a game all the way through. Uh, The reason I'm here on the podcast is because I recently played through a bunch of games. And uh, so I, I went through my quota for the year. That's why I'm here. I wanted to, talk about some of the games that have come out recently but back then when burnout paradise the original came out uh this was one of the games that i played obsessively you know i I got all the rewards there's so many cool things about this game i would say two of the things about this game that really still stick out to me and i played the one on the xbox one is one is like the overwhelming sense of speed you know like a a few games you know even like wipeout f-zero whatever like I feel like very few games are able to replicate the sense of speed I get when I play Burnout Paradise. Mm-hmm. And then also, wait, wait, it's wait, like, hold on, real quick, real quick. Yes, you included Wipeout as a game that does have a good sense of speed, right? Uh, I I, I still prefer Burnout to that game, man. You know, like that's what I'm saying. <sighs> okay, 
<laughs> I'm not saying Wipeout's bad. I'm just saying, like, for me, the Burnout Paradise experience is unreplicable or irreplicable, however, whatever the word is. And uh, and then the other thing is, like, I, I feel like so many racing games, you know, I played, like, the Gran Turismo series and Forza, all these uh, racing games kind of celebrate the art of driving really well. And Burnout Paradise is one of those few games, like Destruction Derby or whatever, that was really into uh, the idea of destroy, like the beauty of destroying your vehicle. Uh, and you know, very uh, safely, they had like no one in the vehicles, right? So it's just it's not like people are getting hurt. It's just these automated vehicles driving around and getting destroyed in spectacular fashion. And uh, I really love that about this game. So just like the the beauty of the destruction that it renders. So uh, pretty excited about this announcement. That's why it's my story of the week. Yeah, I think that there's a lot to dig into here. Let's start with Burnout Paradise. Uh, it's it's actually Burnout Paradise Remastered, which was that 2018 re-release that uh, up-res a lot of the graphics. So uh, they claim that the Switch version will run at 60 frames per second. Yeah, 60 awesome. FPS. Yeah. It's also going to uh, include some some uh, touch control, just mostly pinch and pull map control which is kind of rad to have because uh, that's kind of what you want when you're looking at a map on especially on a tiny screen that probably is going to be still using icons and text that was built for big screens you know so i i love the fact that maybe we'll be able to pinch uh, and pull the 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 map to zoom in on stuff and see things easier i think that's a really great addition but i also am one of those people that loves burnout i've said to christian many many times on the show that you know, I'm such not a driving game guy. I, I like the arcade nature of Burnout. I like I like games that let me just hold the throttle and go full out for a long stretches of time. And then crashing is fun, you know. And, and this game really still has, as you said, maintained this unmatched status as a, a, a game that people look at and go, there's nothing else like that. Yeah, they haven't made like a modern uh, console gen version of this game yet, right? Like, well, I know that there's that there's that game made by some of the creators of the Burnout series. Um, that's uh, and they're actually announced a sequel to. It's going to be out this Dangerous year. Dangerous Driving, yes, Dangerous yeah, Driving. Yeah, yeah, but again, that I don't think that really has the budget uh, that this that Burnout Paradise did certainly. And maybe they'll get there. Maybe they will achieve it with the sequel. But Burnout Paradise also had the added thing, which you didn't mention, Dave, that I loved about it, and I hope remains on the switch or is or is brought over to the switch which was it was kind of a let's all hang out game you know it, it had that open world uh burnout formula which the the previous games in the series kind of flirted with but most of the burnout games are just you know pick a track go race or crash or do you know stay in these modes right burnout paradise was this big open world and it had a multiplayer element where you could just hang out do stunts together run around the city do crazy stuff and I remember spending hours doing that, just getting online with people and driving our cars around and doing wacky stuff and then maybe starting a race, but mostly not doing races, mostly just getting into wild, weird crashes and, you know, stunts and tricks and stuff. So it, it is a unique game and one that I'm glad is going to switch. And you bring up all these other, you know, Bioshock and, and XCOM. It's really interesting how the porting of old games to switch has become this unique thing this touchstone of there's something special about the switch i guess it's the portability right yeah yeah but there's something special about bringing old experiences on the go with you 
that I think is really exciting. It's really gotten people excited about stuff coming to Switch that is old that probably wouldn't have played again in any other format. Christian, I know you get excited when stuff comes to Switch. You love your Switch. Did these announcements excite you? I'm glad they're coming to Switch. None of these games in particular excited me um, because I've spent so much time with them, all of them already, uh, except for XCOM, which I've tried multiple times and I know people love it. Just never clicked for me. That's not to say anything about the game itself. It's just my gaming preferences. Um, I, I, I don't think I recommend burnout on switch as the ideal way to play it that being said i owned burnout on psp and i loved it and i got the need for speed was it most wanted on vita jordan that came up for vita and i really liked it so i think it would be you know a game that you could enjoy on that system but it is a game that is also on every other system right now and probably fairly inexpensively so if you have any other system and hearing about this coming to switch has made you think oh, i should play that i would recommend playing it on any other system um because i think that but it's kind of like the kind of like the witcher 3 right like i wouldn't recommend playing it on switch but (laughs) it's kind of rad that it's on switch yes 100 percent. and like when doom eternal comes out on switch which i originally was day and date and now has obviously been delayed like when that goes on sale will i buy it probably (laughs) you know just to be like what is this black magic this shouldn't be possible uh it's pretty cool what do you think about this notion of you know we get remakes we get uh, uh, uh hd uh, up res games and now we get the switch port you know it's like it's become this thing like the, the, these older games getting ported over to switch dave what do you what do you make of that is it just uh, we just chalk it up to the fact that it's cool that we can take these games on the go with us or is there something yeah. else going on no I, th- I think that's uh that's one of the biggest uh, I, I mean i guess like there's that plus the attendant round of publicity that comes with each one of these announcements is like, oh, hey, like now, like the world is thinking about Burnout uh, Paradise Remastered a little bit again. They have an yeah. opportunity to kind of talk about it again. You know, there's a wave of new people discovering that game again. So yeah. uh, I don't know that it's more complicated than that, but it does feel like it, it is almost like a ritual at this point. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and I think that's kind of cool. Uh, by the way, I, I should mention that I think XCOM and the and Borderlands and Bioshock have a release date, right? So that's like yeah. May 29th. Yeah, they're and, all at the same time, which yeah. is weird. And Burnout Paradise Remastered does not yet have a release date. It's uh, quote-unquote 2020 is the release date. So it's not clear exactly when that's coming out. But just wanted to, if people are looking for it, that's the, the situation there. But yeah, I think uh, it's just a thing of it, it's portable now. You can take it with you. And by the way, uh, look at this flex that we're doing of putting this you know, co- like content on this tiny, tiny device. Yeah. I'm excited to see how burnout looks at, at 60 FPS on a switch. I, I bet that would look real slick. Trailer didn't look great. Oh, it didn't. I haven't even looked at it. And in my opinion did not, it did not wow the way I was hoping it to. Is that because it's a, however many year old game or because they had to make compromises for the switch? I would say a little of both, probably. <laughs> the remastered the remastered port when it came to current gen consoles also didn't wow. Um, so I'm curious. So you're just you're this... just not being wowed by Burnout Paradise is what's happening. I think. I mean, it, it it's not wow, so I can't be wowed by it. You know, only <laughs> no, one game Christian can wants, wow me. Christian wants Forza, and Ooh. anything short of Forza, is, right? That's, that that's... game is so good. It's un- it's understandable. I'm going to leave this podcast right now and go play some. Forza. I mean, because I mean, we're not far away. If if it hasn't already happened, I just might not be aware. It's possible right this second, but we're not far away from 
Forza being playable on any device via uh oh yeah xbox, xcloud no it, it XCloud, yes yeah. it is i i literally have played it that way right. <laughs> it's real so, good but but it, i don't know i i know i keep trying to dig for something that may not be there but i i do think it's interesting to me that all of these companies are making a play for portability and streaming and put your you know put your beautiful console game on a tiny little screen and, and but somehow things going to the switch feel more special to people and i i don't i don't know really what that is i have maybe a, it, maybe it's a simple explanation as you guys have said but uh, it, it feels like games get more excitement maybe it's just the nintendo effect but pay, then then it would be like saying hey forza is playable on your phone right now via xcloud you know <laughs> i think yeah okay oh, go, go ahead christian uh, uh, I, I, <laughs> no, no, you go. No, you go. Uh, I, I, my, a combined thirty years of podcasting experience, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Out of my bum, my hypothesis for these switch ports are: uh, one, I think maybe switches are family consoles, and I think that this kind of generation of port are it like maybe you don't you used to game. During PS3, Xbox 360, more than you did. Now your kid has a Switch, and it's kind of like a comfort food thing again. We're like, oh, I, I remember that game. I'd like that game. I'd play that game again. And because you have one, you play where maybe you don't have the latest console, and you're not still following games. Total, just out of my bum hypothesis, but that's what jumped out at me. Yeah, I think there's something about the Switch feeling like a console, not like oh, I'm just pointing it to my phone. Like what? Am I going to use my finger to play it? it? It feels like a console, you know, it's like, it's going to this console. It's got console controls. It's a, it's a legit console. I don't know. Maybe I'm just making a bigger deal out of it than I need to, but it is cool. And I love the fact that more and more games are coming to switch. I think it has also a lot to do with the fact that the switch is selling really well. I think it's even sold out in a lot of places right now. Cause people are like, I can't leave my house. I need a switch. Um, so. Yeah. All right. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Well, you know I love Burnout Paradise, so I don't know if you heard, but um, almost this is this is the Burnout Paradise equivalent, or this is the equivalent of the actor equivalent of games coming to Switch. It's Ryan Reynolds, who probably has the best Twitter account of all celebrity actor Twitter accounts. He's so funny, so very 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 funny on Twitter. Um, he is really, I feel like, leaning into his public persona. In the movies he picks or promotes or champions, and he wants to do or is doing with Netflix a live action Dragon's Lair with his Dragon's company. Lair. That was really good. His company producing, and he is set to star. And I am very, 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 very excited for this. It has, um, um, you wrote it down here. I still can't find it. Uh, Lego Movie. Dan and Kevin Hagman are doing the script. Um. Don Bluth, who is a creator of the game, uh, also All Dogs Go to Heaven director, and you know other good stuff, is going to be executive producing as well. Which means uh, he just gets a check; it doesn't have to do much. Probably, <laughs> it's better than like I don't want them to do it. You know, yeah, like no, yeah, yeah. It, it means he's on board, and I think Ryan Reynolds will make a really, really great Dirk. Like I, I, I think oh, his comedic dream skills casting of Dirk, dream yeah, casting of Dirk, right? And I think that this is a movie the world needs. I really do. I, I really think this could be something special. The game itself, you know, is beautiful, but just uh, mini games uh, or um, QTEs that became frustrating, but beautiful, especially when it came out. But it's funny. It's irreverent. 
Um, and I think if they can carry that forward in a way, and I think incorporate like someone dying a lot, you know, that's in what it. I was going to say. I want, I hope that they lean into that. Cause basically if you, you know, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, golden path. What's that? What's yeah, the phrase? Yeah. If you, if you just do dragon's lair perfectly from start to finish, it's just a pretty generic fantasy cartoon. And it's like five minutes or something. Like yeah. That. Right. But if you lean into the fact that this is a video game, which, you know, he's got this other project coming out where he's basically a, an NPC from GTA. I thought that, you came, know, yeah, I don't know if that came out. It hasn't right. come out yet. Nothing comes out anymore. Christian. <laughs> Theoretically, it was going to come out in July, but we're not sure anymore. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I feel like it's got that same sensibility where that looks like a very tongue in cheek. You know, here's a guy in GTA who gets hit by cars and all that stuff. I would love for them to lean into the fact that this is about learning by dying, you know, that, that, that you have to make all kinds of wrong moves in order to save the princess from the dragon. I think that could be really clever and really meta and really fun in the way that Ryan Reynolds has created a whole career post Deadpool of being really funny and really meta and and commenting on the things that he's in pre Deadpool. Like the dude was a comedic sitcom actor, you know, like he, took this veer off for a little bit where he was like tried to be a traditional leading man. And I think now has very much gone back to what he does really, really well. And it's, it's comedy. He's very funny. Dave, what do you think? I mean, you are the film expert uh, here. Um, and well, let me, let me tell you why I did not choose this as my story of the week. How about that? I, I teed it up for you right here at the top. Like, which is, which is, he's going to do a movie story. Yeah. Which is, which is that when I think back to my memories of Dragon's Lair, the video game, the feeling I have associated with it is trauma. And what I mean, <laughs> and what I mean by that is like when this game was out, this is, it was an arcade, arcade, arcades, which for those who don't know, uh, video games used to be, like gathered together in these large buildings where you would go <laughs> and then you you put quarters into these yeah. machines and then you had play, to leave your house. You had to leave your house to play okay, video games. First, we should probably ex- explain. There was a time when people used to leave their house. It's true. It's true. And you'd go out to these things called arcades. I was, I was like, is there a second part of the word arcade? No, it's just arcades. Uh, and there'd be these huge cabinets that would have video games inside them. And then you'd put quarters in to play an arcade game for like five minutes at a time, pretty much, right? Or Dragon's Lair would be like 48 seconds. That's, well, that's what I'm saying. Is That's what I'm saying. It's like, I remember, you know, playing a lot of games. Like, you know, I'd go into an arcade and like, Virtual Fighter, oh man, amazing experience. Love playing. The Simpsons game, oh, it's so fun to see all my my favorite characters in this video game. And I could, you can do all the things. You're jumping off all the, you know, you're combining forces with uh, Lisa and Bart and doing all this. Cra- oh, so fun. And then you get to Dragon's Lair and I put, I remember like putting in a quarter and no matter what I did, I couldn't get that guy to do anything I wanted him to do. And then he'd always die after like 10 seconds. And his face would melt or whatever. They were like yeah, very, would, die in horrifying very and, and yeah. very amusing ways. Um, we should explain. I know that Dragon's Air has been released on lots of, right. in lots of ways. So people may be experienced, but if you weren't alive in 1983, when this thing was, was big in the arcades, this was a hand-drawn Don Bluth animated uh, video game that was basically snippets cl- uh, stuck together and a, one single joystick sticking out of the cabinet. 
and you saw an animated and, and also uh, an attack button as well we should yeah and you saw an animated man uh with a sword leap into this frame against some horrible uh obstacle and there was no instruction as to what to no do no instruction and you tried to put the joystick into a direction just moved into a direction invariably it was the wrong one and then he would die so here's why i think that calling it a quick time event actually does a disservice to the phrase quick time event is because uh, a modern quick time you know you're playing god of war or last of us or whatever and a, a zombie or something is about to like crush your head and it's the the screen says press square press square yeah. press right. square you know like mash right. square until you're over this thing yeah. And imagine playing the game, but without that prompt. Yes. I thought Dragon's Air had some prompt. Like the screen would no, it flash flashes. or something. It would yeah. flash. It would the flash. door would flash. Like he would have to jump through the door and it would flash a split second before you needed to do the right prompt. But the positioning of the door gave no clue. As yeah, to it, it wouldn't what... say like what you need to do. You had to memorize <laughs> it. At least from my recollection, right? Are you yes. ready for this, gentlemen? Dragon's Lair is available on Switch. I, oh, I doubt it not. I, doubt, nice. I know it has been put out over and over and over again. Sega CD was my, uh, I think it was my home console that I discovered it on. Um, the fact that we all as children continued to pump quarters into this thing. Well, you have to understand the attract screen. Like compare, uh, imagine like the best hand-drawn cartoon yeah. up yeah. next to Pac-Man. Like, right. No, you're right. It looks so good. That's the thing. It was it, extraordinary. You were controlling a cartoon, but which is every kid's dream. It fundamentally broke the contract, uh, the social contract <laughs> of the arcade, which is that when I go, I expect that when I move a joystick in one direction, the character on screen is going to move in that direction. It's a pretty basic contract. It's not that complicated of a contract, by the way. Right. It's just, hey, I, I'm giving you money, and in exchange, I get to control this guy on the screen for, for like you know 10 minutes. Yeah. And it fundamentally wrecked that contract. And so it's as a result, accurate. I put in, you know, I probably spent like, I don't know, $2 in that game. And I'm like, F this game, and I never look back. Oh, you have more control than I did. I I loved it. I put so many hours into hours, hours. I put money, hard earned uh, allowance money. I put into that thing, and I played uh, Dragon's Lair, uh, uh, Time Warp was the second one, and Space Ace. They're all uh, three all of- are on the Switch collection for 1999. Yeah. 1999. I spent, I'm sure, more than 1999 dying a thousand times in those games. So, so when you say, "Hey, David, are you excited for the Dragon's Lair adaptation?" It's like, "Hey, are you excited for this thing that fundamentally shattered your world as you when you were a kid in terms of like your understanding of what video games should be?" And the answer is no, Jeff. <laughs> Here, so here's something wild to throw out. Does this Bandersnatch? Oh, that would be fun, right? It's it, Netflix. It is, it, it is, it is Dragon's that. Lair. That's interesting. It's mm. just a really long Dragon's Lair. Well, maybe there's a few prompts in it from dude. you know, just from time to time, like maybe four in the whole movie or something like That's that. That's genius, but, dude. Thank you. I, and, and in retrospect, it's one of those genius things that seems so obvious. Like if it if it is Netflix, yeah, then why wouldn't they? Hmm. It is Netflix, and indeed it could be. Pretty be. cool. I think that would be super fun. That would be super fun. And you just have you have Ryan Reynolds dying a thousand ways because you didn't push the right thing on your remote. Yeah, he'll break That's- the fourth wall, talk to you, be like, come oh, on, yeah. man. I'm telling you, yeah, the door. Yeah. I will say uh, I have a lot of problems with Bandersnatch, but one of the problems was not 
that whenever I chose something on screen, the character would not do it. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I fully support that outcome, if that's the case. That could be really fun. I am, I am way more excited about that. It does seem obvious in retrospect, and I hope that they go that way because that could be – or at least even if the whole movie isn't like that, a section should be like that, you know? Yeah. I hope they do too because I want my check. <laughs> yeah. If, if it doesn't arrive, just wait longer. <laughs> Thank you. To be, and but, just to be clear, we are, we, it doesn't – like in none of the stories does it explain like that's what the final product is going to be or anything like that. So no. just pure it, it, speculation. We don't even know that this is 100% happening, but it yeah. says that they've been in talks for over a year and that uh, his production company, Ryan Reynolds' production company, is um, deep into discussions about doing it. So I, I hope it happens. I think it'll be fun. And I should say my check is here. I just can't open it for another eight months. I did. Yeah, it's it's it sitting outside in the sun. Hmm. Smart. But it says important check from Netflix. So I, I think that's it. <laughs> Uh, that's, that's how you know it's legit is when it says that <laughs> on the check from Netflix. Uh, it, all I have to do is put in my social security number and they'll give me my money. Um, so my story of the week, uh, I'm going to lump together a whole bunch of uh, COVID happy stories, you know, because uh, there's a lot of doom and gloom in the world, rightfully so. And I'm, I've been wallowing in it. I've been, uh, just addicted to looking at all of the news and being worried and being down. And I feel like there's probably a lot of people like me listening who have had a rough go of it the last several weeks. And we have even more ahead of us as a world, (laughs) as a, as a human species. Uh, But there are some, some positive uh, rays of sunshine peeking through the doom and gloom clouds, at least in the world of video games, when it comes to the, global pandemic. And there's several stories here all talking about that, that I think are interesting. The first is something we talked about uh, several episodes now. In fact, we asked uh, Lana about it last week because she works for Riot. We were wondering if there were going to be games that get delayed specifically because of the new stay in your house, work from home reality that we're all living in. And uh, Lana wasn't quite sure. Uh, She said that Riot, at least, has been kind of uh, doing a a great job at at still being productive and keeping things going. Um, And now there is this story about Sony uh, on an investor call uh, saying that they don't anticipate any games that they have in the pipeline being delayed for that reason, Uh, which I think is pretty great. There is no mention on this update this is actually an update that was uh, posted on their website about the potential impact of coronavirus on various businesses. Um, so specifically their uh, game and network services division won't suffer any delays in the current fiscal year specifically because of this. That's not to say games won't be delayed. Also, when does their fiscal year end? I think that's kind of important. Yeah. I mean, we would be able to know that if we knew what fiscal years. When they well, end. different companies are different, but it's like, yeah. yeah. So, it's very soon. Yeah. Well, anyway, I think that's encouraging. It, it makes no mention of the of new hardware. So PlayStation 5, I still think is likely to miss its window. I, I think it's much more difficult to get a physical object, especially from China, that uh, would lie undoubtedly on some Chinese parts. Um, so I expect PlayStation 5 will not be here in 2020. 
neither will Xbox Series X. I hope I'm wrong, but I do think it's good news that there doesn't seem to be a, uh, a significant impact on the workload on a software side. So I think it's a positive story, right? Right, guys? Dave? Good? Yeah, I mean, uh, I think, uh, to be honest, it just feels to me right now like a lot of people and a lot of institutions are still figuring out what the impact is going to be. So I try to take a lot of this stuff with a grain of salt, you know? Um, so uh, I'm glad people are feeling good about it, but I, you know, uh, we'll, we'll see. Well, there are a couple of other positive stories. Um, also this, this story that I, I found kind of inspiring and, and kind of cool, especially as a fan of video games, uh, all as I'm sure everybody listening knows all sports have been suspended worldwide. We just got word that the Olympics will not be happening when they weren't scheduled. Uh, there are no NFL uh, no MLB spring training hasn't started. NBA has suspended. opening day, opening day. Oh, opening day. Excuse me. Yeah. It was supposed to be opening day. Um, and the same is true for racing series, formula one, NASCAR, IndyCar have all, uh, suspended operation, but specifically for those sports, there is a way for players to compete, and it's through video games. We got this really interesting story over on The Verge about how a lot of professional racers, uh, F1 racers and NASCAR racers, have been taking up or usually actually use simulations, simulators, uh, you know, iRacer and other um, racing games to practice. And so they have their setups that are complete with uh, steering wheels and pedals and, you know, like a full simulator situation in their homes. And so they've started competing virtually in racing series. Uh, these are actually being televised uh, on Twitch and other places. Uh, there's some rumors of them maybe even going to ESPN because ESPN is looking for content right now to, to show people. And I think this is kind of cool. Uh, uh, an interesting way of continuing to i'm not a fan of that those sports in particular myself but i do think it's really interesting that it kind of gives people a you know a, a facsimile of what they enjoy and uh it, these games are clearly close enough to reality that it provides some level of entertainment and challenge and competition for the drivers just anecdotally i um Went to a uh, an event. Well, not went to. I was hired to to do an ad uh, years ago uh, for game through Gamespot. Uh, they hired me to do an ad for um, a Forza game, and I actually interviewed a NASCAR racer who played Forza live with me for the first time. He was a real NASCAR um, a driver, and he picked up the game immediately and was like, "Oh yeah, this is how I would do this. This is how I would do this." And he started winning races on the most extreme settings because it really does translate the skill set translates to these simulators i don't think you can say the same for you know nba video games or mlb video games but with racing games it does work so that's my long-winded introduction to say dave do you think this is cool or, or do you think this is kind of um uh just a, a sort of sad stopgap I think it's really cool, and I actually think that uh, I'm, I'm, the thing I'm most glad about with this story is just that uh, the idea of kind of 
video gaming as a competition is it's it's another way for that to gain even more traction in the United States. You know, which like in other obviously it is a big deal in the United States already to some degree, but like I don't know that a lot of like esports people are really like household names yet in the way that say Tom Hanks is a household name. You know what I mean? Like everyone knows who Tom Hanks is, but like not necessarily everyone knows who Ninja is. You know what I mean? Right. right. And like I I fully support gaming becoming kind of more of a popularized sport because I I do respect the amount of skill it takes and I do want more resources to be put into it. And even though uh, this is kind of a, a a different way than we've seen in the past for it to get some attention, I'm, I, I fully support it. So. There's also uh, an element to this story that says that the the actual the first race that they that they competed in had more crashes than a typical NASCAR race would, um, and I wonder if you know NASCAR and F1 racing is extremely dangerous, and I wonder if this is is this the future, Christian? Is this is this a way for these kind of uh, sports to be safely competed in? Uh, is it can we get to the point where visually it's basically the same to the end user anyway? So why not? I mean, are we in the sci-fi movie where we watch, you know, gladiator ball instead of, you know, with robots and virtual fighters rather than actual people in a place? No. Um, I think it's cool. This is happening. I do like the story. I, I I think that also Gran Turismo and Forza Racing League. Oh, I got that name wrong. They've they've already been doing some really cool things with virtual, not Virtua, virtual racing. And I like I like that iRacing is getting some you know time in the spotlight now. And I know a lot of people love that as their racing sim. Um, but yeah, I think I, I, I called think, it iRacer. I apologize. I'm sure everyone wanted to jump down my throat. It's iRacing. I think I called it iRacer. I apologize. Uh, whew, that was close. Uh, I never make mistakes. Don't listen to last week's episode, everybody. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I think people were crashing more because it wasn't their real life. And I think right. part of the reason people watch, I, I think part of the reason it won't replace real life racing is people want to see people crash. Like the risk of crashing makes it more appealing. I, I used to do a joke about, um, oh, what is his name? The guy who free climbed, um, uh alex honnold yes yes and uh, the, he, the subject of free solo right? free solo and he climbed free solo and it's like so amazing our documentary won an oscar i thought it was great and the premise of the bit was like but all he's doing is something that someone else has already done but in a way that if he fails he dies like why is that celebrate it's like i drove eight hours without my seatbelt. yeah <laughs> like there's this weird bloodlust that people have and i think the risk of people getting hurt makes it one more tense for the people competing in it and more visceral for the people watching it. And I think even there's a reason why even in our robots movies and like battle bots movies, the people controlling the robots are also still getting hurt. <laughs> you know, there's like this weird thing where we want, we want that. So I think we will see more and more virtual sports and virtual sports leagues take off. And I think to Dave's point, we will see more and more people, you know, Dr. Lupo, uh, Ninja, um, Dr. Disrespect. There are, you know, quite a few you could rattle off now that are close to household names, especially for the younger sect. But I think we will see more and more and more of them break through. But I think there will always be a place, you know, once we get to the other side of this for live sports. 
To, to be clear, though, I think I might be conflate. Like, I don't mean to conflate esports and like popular streamers because I think those are different things, right? Because right, sure. I don't think Ninja is like the best in the world at Forza or what you know. Like, it, there's people who are like the best Fortnite. in the world at no, no. I'm I'm saying Forza, not Fortnite. You know, oh, yeah. but like there's somebody out there who is the best in the world at Forza or who is the best in the world at. Right. Um, uh, at Rocket League, right? And like those people are, in, from my uh, observation, are not yet uh, as well known. And, yeah, there's uh, some, and, I, and I think like they Sonic be. Fox and stuff. Well, you know, but, there yeah, there yeah. are some people certainly, but yes. Well, I would I would argue that this story is even more different still in that the entire goal of a racing sim video game is to create as close to a real life experience as possible, which is not found in almost any other video game. Uh, I, I can't think of another type of video game truly that the whole idea of video games is that it converts something very difficult into a button press or a joystick move, you know, whereas if you have a racing wheel and pedals and a stick shifter, pedal shifter, whatever you, you have that sim setup with the side screens and the, the, you know, the 180 degree view and all that stuff. The whole goal is to try to put you as close to a real experience without giving you any of those uh, shortcuts as possible. And I think that's, it's so fascinating to me that people who are good at the real version of it, that skill set directly applies. Mm -hmm. I find that fascinating. And I think it's unique to this. I, I don't, I mean, I have said for a long time that I think as we get more and more into the VR future, that will become more and more what esports are. It's because human beings like to see human beings do things that are impressive. They like the the prowess of physical, uh, you know, um, accomplishment, and that's why we. That's why people who don't even like basketball can watch someone dunk a basketball in a spectacular way and go, Oh my God. Cause you instantly recognize that as a human body doing something extraordinary. And I think it's much more difficult to see someone with glassy eyes staring at a screen doing something extraordinary as many <clears throat> streamers and esports <clears throat> competitors do. And it's no doubt extraordinary. And we as gamers recognize that, but I think it's more difficult understanding that. And, and it's a difficult, um, thing to describe to people to under, truly understand what is so special about what they're doing, what is so uh, high skill. But when we have human beings in a video game, having their motions, you know, uh, um, translated one-to-one, -one, I think it's going to be much more watchable and you'll want to see people with headsets and motion controllers do spectacular things in a video game because they're actually doing spectacular things. So that's just my feeling about that well jeff i think uh it it sounds like you're not really acknowledging the contributions that microsoft flight simulator has made to the uh <laughs> the world of video games that's very very astute point that is uh that is another game where i mean similarly driving or piloting but yeah i think that is another you know uh ex situation where the virtual version is the same skill set as the I mean, well, Jeff and Dave, I got sucked <laughs> into a portal in hell, and um, <laughs> I my skill set was I died real quick. Is what happened. My <laughs> skill set, I was ill equipped. I kept trying also, to push wanna, buttons; I, it just didn't work. 
I do want to head off at the past some emails and I do recognize very much that there is a physical level of um, endurance required to be a high speed driver in a race car. I get it. I, I, I totally understand that it is not the same as sitting in your living room in your air conditioning, looking at a television screen. I totally understand that it is a physical event. It is a physical athletic contest to be a NASCAR driver or a formula one driver. Um, but I think it's much closer than, you know, certainly any other high profile sport. You know, Jeff, Jeff, I'm glad glad that Jeff is wrong at DLC.com. I'm I'm glad you brought that up, Jeff, because I think it's, it goes towards this uh, theorem I've been working on Dave Chen's theorem, which is that as the amount of time you're doing a podcast goes on, like as the years go on, the amount of time in the podcast dedicated to heading off emails exponentially rises <laughs> this is uh it's like is... pti they had corrections like you you have you know you're gonna have that yeah, section. Like, we, yeah, get yeah. we get it we get it we get it okay yep, yeah we get, I get it okay you don't need to send the emails thank you <laughs> all right my last quick story um about about how coronavirus is people are adapting using video games i just this tickled me i'm gonna be talking a lot about half-life alex coming up so uh, I won't spend too much time on it here, but I do want to point people to this. I think it's kind of a heartwarming story. Uh, the very beginning, the very, very, very first thing that you see when you step into Half-Life Alex in VR is uh, Alex Vance's apartment. And in her apartment is a window upon which she has drawn <clears throat> a bunch of little notes herself. She's kind of working out problems on the with a, with a dry erase marker on her window. And the game in VR allows you to pick up her pens and write on the window yourself. It's just a little fun little thing that they put in. It's not required for the game at all, but it's cool. It just shows a bit of interaction that you can do in VR because you're fully motion controlled. Pick up her pens and write whatever you want on the window. It's a neat little immersion moment. Well, one teacher in San Diego has used that as a way to give a geometry lesson to his students uh, and it, virtually because we're all staying at home and he's not able to get to his, you know, get in front of an actual, uh, class in an actual classroom. And, uh, maybe it would be easy for him to just set up an iPhone in front of a whiteboard and do it. But how it's much called, cooler is it? It's called Jamboard. You use Jamboard. It's a Google product. It works great on a tablet. You can use like a finger or a pen or it works on a computer. This is a very cool, like stunty thing, but you use Jamboard teach. Come on. I say use Half-Life Alex, and I want to give a virtual high five to Charles Coomber, a seventh grade math teacher, using Half-Life Alex to teach. I think that was cool. All right. Let's uh, thank our sponsor, and that is Squarespace. I love thinking Squarespace because, you know, we've talked a lot about how long we've all been podcasting. Uh, Squarespace has been there since day one. I remember Squarespace sponsoring the totally rad show back in the day. And they've stuck with me all these years, uh, over a decade. And I've been so happy because I genuinely love the tools that Squarespace provides to create your own website. Honestly, anytime a family member or a friend tells me they need to make a website, I always say, just go to Squarespace. It's so simple. You start with a a template that professionals have made, and then you could just make it your own. So it already looks great. And then you just futz with it and make it your own. You can move things around. It's all drag and drop. So simple. 
You can turn it into a storefront by dropping in an e-commerce plugin. It's so simple. So you can sell things and services. You can blog. You can showcase your work. Everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. You don't have to worry about it. It's got built-in search engine optimization. It's got 24-7 award-winning customer support. So if you run into any problems, you can just call them anytime, day or night. There's never anything to patch or upgrade. You don't have to worry about any of that stuff. They take care of all of that. You just get to make something. You don't have to worry about coding or learning HTML. You can also buy domains and choose from over 200 extensions there at Squarespace. So why not make it yourself? Make a website yourself. Uh, it's, it's so simple at Squarespace, and it comes out looking great. So if you go over to squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, you can start your free trial. And then when you're ready to launch, use our offer code Jeff sent me, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, all one word, and you'll save yourself 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain. Squarespace.com slash Jeff sent me, and that promo code Jeff sent me. Build a website the easy way. Make it look great. All right, it is time to talk about the games that we have been playing. And Dave, as you mentioned, you've had some extra time to delve into video games. I know you picked a really good time because there are some excellent games out there right now. Yeah, I uh, I was just on sabbatical. Uh, I, I am now ended my sabbatical, and so I had three months uh, where I wasn't at my full time job, and uh, so I had some time to watch some movies, play some video games during that time while I was doing other things. Um, and you know, Jeff and Christian, this week I actually had a chance to play two games that were the same game. You see, both of these games are sequels to beloved games that came out about four to five years ago. And those predecessor games, those games that came out four to five years ago, uh, themselves were both considered kind of throwbacks at the time. These two games both are games that dramatically improved on the graphics of the predecessor games, showing what is really possible with this generation of consoles. And finally, they both made those respective games way more complex, bigger worlds, more systems, more mechanics, and more story but not necessarily for the better. And of course, the two games I'm referring to are Doom Eternal and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Those are the two games I'm talking about. Did you just boom goes the dynamite on my show? Did I, you just do that? I, I, didn't, I didn't boom. I didn't do the boom. You know, I kind of adapted it for, was for this what you're a, doing here. Was this a Doom goes the dynamite? It's a Doom goes the dynamite here. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, so well yeah, done, I had sir. a chance to play uh, Doom Eternal and Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Uh, Jeff, I think you've played these games as well this week, right? Yes. So why don't we start with Ori? Because that came out a little bit earlier, right? Uh, Ori came out a few weeks ago, I think. And uh, yeah, Ori. It was like lifetimes ago, Dave. It really does. You're in a whole different world back then. Uh, Ori and the Will of the Wisps. Awesome game. I loved uh, Ori and the Blind Forest. And, you know, this game, uh, the world of this game, like the, the literal map, it feels like it's like, I don't know three four five x the size right like the just the size of it the scale of it is way bigger so there's way more to do uh the combat is way more complicated like you have like all these different abilities you can unlock and and use against enemies but for me the fundamental thing about this game that makes it great is is the platforming right like this is 
like gold standard of platforming. It reminded me of Celeste a lot when I was playing it, just in terms of the difficulty, the creativity, the variety of challenges that you're faced with, and the uh, the tools that you're given, the variety of tools that you're given to solve the platforming challenges that you have. Uh, not to mention, yeah, as I've already said, I think the game is absolutely gorgeous. Like the, the there's this. It's not really hand drawn animation, but it's like kind of it's it's rendered in three d but there's like all these multiple layers of yeah. um of animation you know there's like the foreground and then the background and then like a, you know middle something in between you and the and the and the background all this stuff going parallax motion all this stuff going on and sometimes they'll play with that and have something come right yes. at the screen right come at the right camera. at the screen or like from the screen towards yeah. the character and that's yeah. like always like really interesting when they do that. Uh, so for, for me, it's the platforming that shines the strongest. Uh, I, the combat was, I, I have to say, like, I didn't enjoy it as much as, as the platforming. What, what, what did you think, Jeff? I love the combat. I, for me, the combat, I, I don't know if you've heard me mention this before, but I kind of bounced off the first Ori game a little bit. And I, I feel guilty about that now because of how much I'm loving Will of the Wisps. Um, but I know that the first Ori didn't really have that combat element, at least at the in the level of complexity that's that's here. And that's one of the things I really dig about the game is that it feels like a, a real adventure game to me. Um, I'm defeating enemies, I'm using combos, I'm thinking about how to get around them and defeat them. I'm I'm enticed to challenge myself to defeat them because the upgrades are always so useful and that's one of the things that I'm often I often complain about with with games that have this role playing layer where you can earn rewards and build a better character over time. Sometimes the rewards that I'm I'm striving for I felt this way particularly in um, Jedi Fallen Order. Mm-hmm. I would I would build up stockpiles of whatever it was called force energy or whatever it was called that you could buy your your stuff when you meditate you could buy your uh, extra abilities. I would have a surplus of those because I would just look over the the skill tree and go, eh, I don't really care about any of that. It doesn't there's nothing that there's no carrot on the end of that stick because none of that stuff felt particularly exciting or game-changing. And I think Ori and the Will of the Wisps handles that so well. Everything. There's this bounty of different things and i'm like oh i really would love that ooh, 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 but that's good too and the fact that you can have these dynamic builds that you can pop in and pop out of at any given time that i find myself using situationally it just it, it it really makes the game very fun and strategic on a from the combat perspective particularly uh, but I, I also love the platforming <laughs> it's it's interesting because you know as similar you know as many similarities as doom and and ori have and i was being very tongue-in-cheek with that intro there I think what's what's interesting to me is that like for Doom, the combat for me is what's amazing about it, and the platforming is eh. And then for for oh, Ori, funny. for Ori, yeah. for me, right, the the platforming is spectacular, and the combat is uh, because for for Ori, I literally just used I don't know maybe like four or five total abilities. Like you have, I think it's something like ten or something abilities like that, maybe twelve or something. And I literally just stuck with the same like three or four, and I found that like those could get me through most of the stuff I needed to get through. And I, I, it just like, and it's not like I didn't try the other things. I'm just like, okay, after 
several you know rounds of experimentation these are the things i'm gonna say it's like spirit smash i think that's like the really powerful one and then there's like the spirit sword there's the healing one and then um yeah, the healing one is and key. then the uh the one that you throw like this really powerful spear right mm-hmm. and like those are basically the ones i use the whole game whereas if you were to try that technique in doom you would die you know what i mean like <laughs> there's no way you could do just your favorites in doom because You'd run out of ammo or you'd well, encounter Doom, Yeah, go ahead. Doom is specifically designed to be that Swiss Army right. knife approach where it's like, you know, it's 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 a bit of a rock, paper, scissors approach of of like there's there's a thing you need to do to do that. You're gonna need to do that, so you're gonna have to do that thing. And then there's gonna be something else that you'll need to do to do the next thing, and you're gonna need to do that too. So it I think it's a completely different design philosophy, really. Yeah, I, I, that's fair enough. Uh and so let me just say, like, about Ori, I think it's pretty much a masterpiece right like i think it's like it's a super amazingly put together game it's beautiful it's evocative i recommend it to anyone uh and just like uh, it's again i I think the platforming is just cannot be beat okay all that said you know my my main issues are from the uh combat because yeah you can discover these few things that like you you rely on over and over again and i think uh and and are completely adequate right and I, i think that uh, that's arguably a flaw, although maybe some people think that's that's okay. It's more of like a choose your own adventure kind of thing where you can just choose whatever suits you. But here's the thing, Jeff. Let me let me put this out there too. Is I, this is going to sound completely irrational and like I'm a crackpot, and that's fine, you know? So normal. Um, but I I felt like the enemies in Ori pissed me off so much you know because it felt like they were designed to be as annoying as humanly possible whereas like the, the bugs the, uh, there's that one there's that one bug that like it, it, it like shoots spines out of it right yeah. and and like when you hit or when you get close or when you hit it it shoots a spine like right at you and you need to like jump in a very specific way to avoid the spines and i'm just like that is so irritating and there's like several enemies that are like that that it's just like uh, and for I me, it's not... the flying bug things that like sh- hover for a second and then, uh, you know, fly straight at you. Oh, annoyed me and, so much. And for some reason, I did not feel that way about Doom. And I think it's because like in Ori, they're animals or they're like cre- forest creatures. And in Doom, they're like literal demons coming at you. And <laughs> and like in Doom, I'm like, oh, these are demons. These demons are just they're they're doing what they like. You know, they're, they're like sentient creatures coming at me and and they they only know how to attack me in one way but in ori it's like some programmer freaking designed this thing <laughs> to be as annoying to me as humanly possible versus like oh th- yeah this is just demons it's the normal state of how demons are they're just the way they are demons what does it say demons about, got a demon you know what i mean what does it say about you dave that you relate more to the demons than to the <laughs> says so much and, and the other thing the only other thing i'll say about the combat that's kind of challenging is that like uh there's just a lot going on on screen uh, in Ori, you know, like there's just a lot of uh, cool uh, visual effects going on. And like the, when you kill creatures, they're like all this crap flies out of them and it goes into you, you know, like and uh, sometimes it's just hard to tell what's actually happening on screen, I find. So oh, I, I feel yeah. that at all. All right. All right. Well, we, we had very different experiences uh, with Ori, but overall, uh, I want to say it was a great experience. Did you you feel the same way, I assume? Yeah, I want to ask you specifically, though, about the storytelling, Mm. because I thought I was a little surprised with where the story goes and how dark it's willing to go. And and, uh, what did you think about the way that the story was told? It's very mature. 
It's very mature. And here's how I describe the story, Jeff. There's more than one mission where Ori's job is to tell someone that a family member or close friend died. (laughs) Like on more than one occasion, your mission is go tell so-and-so that their friend died. And it's like, (laughs) like, like in all heartwarming children's (laughs) games, platforming games. And, uh, and I'm cool with it. You know, I think like uh, like loss has always been a part of like – this feels like almost like a children's fairy tale in many ways. Right. And loss has always been a part of those kinds of stories. And so I, I'm glad that it's able to like grapple with that kind of stuff. But yeah, it's certainly not universally uplifting, right? Like no. don't go expecting super happy story that, that you might expect from seeing kind of the, the animation style. It's not that at all. So. Have you finished both of them, Dave? Have you credits I have on beat both? both the, I have beat both games. That's correct, yeah. If you had to recommend one – with your <laughs> likes and differences between the two, uh, which would you pick? It really depends on what you're looking for. I mean, I, again, I think if you're looking for a bunch of like badass FPS combat, you know, then Doom Ori, Eternal's got to be the way you go. Yeah. Oh, sorry. And yeah. if you and if you're looking <laughs> and if you're looking for uh, some really great innovative platforming, it's got to be Ori. I, I think it's just what itch you want to scratch. So well, I, I think feel like. Yeah, Oftentimes that question, it's like, yeah, it's apples and oranges or whatever. But I think what makes it uh, maybe more apt in this scenario is how you opened with it, where it's like Doom, come for the combat, but it has platform. It, it, it is a platformer. Like it is not a 2D pixel perfect platformer, you know, in the vein of Celeste or what Ori is. But an Ori is a platformer, but it does not shy away from combat. I mean, I don't think it'd be an exaggeration to say 30% of that game is combat from yeah. what I've played. I have not finished. And Doom probably 30 to 40% is platforming. Like they they really blend those two things together where it's like, I could see someone saying that they're both action platformers, which feels weird. But I'll say this, like when in in Ori, the most satisfaction I got from that game was when I finished the super hard platforming section. You know, Mm, it wasn't when I beat a boss. It's like, okay, whatever a boss. But like when I beat a super hard platforming section, like I actually posted this on Twitter where uh, I, there's a very challenging section of the game. For me, I died literally probably 30 to 40 times on this section. And I finally got through it, and I felt so amazing afterwards that I like put it on Twitter that I'm like, look, I did this thing. And then, of course, I got a bunch of comments from people being like, oh, I beat it in three tries, you know, like, <laughs> which is of course. always a great thing about putting your gaming accomplishments on the internet these days. But uh, with Ori, the platforming was amazing. And like, I felt so much satisfaction. And with Doom, uh, I, I never really felt any satisfaction with the platforming. Like it, it never, for me, in Doom Eternal, the platforming never rises beyond the level of that was an acceptable or adequate experience. Uh, and I, I got extremely, quite the opposite, I got extremely frustrated whenever I died in the platforming, which I just thought was like, oh, like this is... I am not enjoying this at all. This is like the parts in like the Spider-Man game on PS4 where you're like sneaking around as one of the other characters. It's like, I did not come here to play this part of this game. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I came, I came yeah. here to shoot some demons who are, who are throwing things at me. So anyway. Um, I think there's there it, it, it gets to the point in Doom Eternal where you, I think you're right. But I think it starts... I think there's some light platforming at the beginning and, and, and in sections throughout where I felt like this is this is cool. I feel cool grabbing onto the side of a wall or dashing into a wall and grasping onto it or you know being able to have an extended sequence in one of their little death chambers 
where I can, you know, leap around and kind of stay airborne for a long stretch of it and, and swing on poles and all that stuff that it lets you do. It's great. And then, then there are those sections where it's like, oh, first person platforming is, is very difficult to pull off. <laughs> yes. It's just difficult to do well. Yes. Uh, because the you speed just, that doom requires. Yes. Yes. And there are sections where it's like, if you fall, you're dead and you're going to keep doing that until you get past it. And it's just, okay, I guess this, this, yep, this is my life now is I'm playing this, this, my life this platform. Now to its credit, to its credit, the punishment for dying from platforming in doom eternal is not very big, right? You, you restart in like the ledge you were on before with maybe 20 less health than you had. And it's not it's not a big deal. So like you can and just same, same yeah. with Ori for that matter. You know, Ori does a great job of, of not really making you feel punished either. It's like, hey, try again. Yeah. And I, I also think that uh, it is useful for Doom to have those kinds of things where it, it helps with the pacing of the game. You don't want it to be just nonstop demons all the time because I think that would just be exhausting. So it's nice to have these like these sections that are breaks. But it's just I, I never really loved it. You know, I love the first person shooter sections uh, where you're you're killing like a ton of guys and here's the thing with with doom eternal right is if we're moving on to that game is that it is way more complex than the doom 2016 version was right like uh-huh. dauntingly complex in my opinion it's uh there are so many mechanics that are introduced in this game that i i could not keep track of them it took, like i was picking up these like suit coins right like at various points you get these like here's a suit coin and i it took me like a little while to figure out what even that did i was like oh right it unlocks suit things that you can do so you got like you got like <laughs> yeah, uh systems on systems, systems on systems on, so you got a suit you can upgrade you got guns that each have two mods that then the mods can be upgraded and then you got um you can do like a uh like a a grenade and a freeze grenade and you have to blast people with your flamethrower if you want to get the armor and then you got a chainsaw that regenerates chainsaw juice but then like sometimes you can pick up chainsaw juice aka gasoline like while you're in a level and then get it right away and then sometimes you want to do like both the flamethrower and the chainsaw and then the and then the freezing and then you know like it's just like it's so complex and you also have augmented mods that change up your play style entirely oh runes you can, like, runes too i forgot runes, the runes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um and th- I, that is not what the 2016 doom was like you know the 2016 doom was much more simple now there are places where the uh the kind of increased complexity is a huge benefit to doom eternal like for instance um the level design is just it it looks amazing like it's doom 2016 the environments were not very varied, right? Like they were very, it's like, oh, you're in hell or you're in a, you're in kind of this industrial building. And that's like most of the environments, but there's like so many cool things to look at in Doom Eternal. And like the creature designs are so creative and the weapons designs are amazing. And the weapons feel so satisfying to use, you know, yeah. Doom Eternal. And you, awesome you didn't game. even mention awesome. the systems of, of how each enemy has things you have to keep in mind because there's specific, yeah, Rock, yeah. Paper, I get this scissors. to knock down this, or this to that, or right, this. Yeah. Each, each enemy has like a specific weak point, and so that's the yeah, thing. So you've is, got an entire compendium of like, of of enemy information that the game is like, hey, don't forget to check out all of this, this <laughs> enemy information. You have to also keep in your head at any given time. So yeah. there's this thing I've seen a lot of people complaining online. They're like, whenever you get to a new enemy, 
it, uh, a little tutorial pops up and it's like, hey, you're about to meet the blank. Uh, the weak points on the blank are X, Y, Z. And it tells you how to defeat the blank. And people were like, come on, that's so, super annoying. Um, I can figure it out myself. And me, David Chen, I'm like, I'm super grateful for this. Because otherwise, I would have spent 30 minutes trying to figure out the weak point on this thing and gotten yeah. pretty pissed. Uh, is, I, I don't like that it, it spoils. You're about to meet this crazy thing. You know, that that's annoying. But And you can also turn these things off. But I appreciated the little tutorials myself. There um, is, I have not finished it yet. Uh, I have found my rhythm in the game. But I, I wish I had a screenshot that I could share readily. There is still several, several, several hours deep into the game. There is something on my HUD that I don't know what is. <laughs> like, I, I'm yeah, like, do I, yeah. how do I... I should use this. How do I, I, I looked it up. I paused. I, I tried to like Google like thingy down by side there. Yes. <laughs> yes. I don't know what it is. So I don't know if I'm like handicapping myself in the game. I didn't, also- I didn't figure out everything on the HUD until I probably got to the last level. And I was like, you know what? <laughs> I finally get what everything is. You know, I'm like yeah. Neo at the end of the matrix one. I'm like, I finally see what's happening here. And really, I feel like I, I'm not blood punching nearly as much. Oh, yeah, as I, I forgot be. to bring out the blood punch. Forgot to bring that up, too. Um, so uh, the, the thing about Doom Eternal is you enter these room full of all these enemies and you need to be balancing how you're moving, how you're picking up ammo and armor and how you're using different weapons to take down different things, weak points. And when you do it all correct, you get into this flow that just feels incredible. You know, like it is just FPS, you know, shooting at its finest. It's like this is this is the the platonic ideal of what a first person shooter game should be, in my opinion. Right. And and when you when you clear a room full of demons, it's just like that was awesome. And like, I want to do that again. Right. Uh, So that's what's awesome about this game is like it gives you that feeling. You know, do, do you feel that way when you clear a room full of dudes? Jeff Kanata? What do you think? Yeah, yes, I yes. I mean it is I am enjoying this much more than I than I enjoyed Doom 2016 and I enjoyed that game a lot. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it, 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 I I find that symphony of of systems that we talk about as being overwhelming and yeah, it, it is not not overwhelming. It, it, it like I said, I almost wholeheartedly uh, ignore blood punch and yes, other things. Yes. I I get I forget details that i should have in my head but there's the 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 improvisational nature of what comes next is so fun to me of oh my gosh i need to do this so here we go and i said this last week too but i love how the answer to all of your questions is be more aggressive the answer (laughs) to anything you need at any given time is charge yeah Right. It's like what, what all the cheerleaders told me uh, so long. I, I finally, it's finally sinking in. Um, <laughs> uh, also, uh, it was time for a, a, a color shout. I, I don't know. Um, I said, what about a color shout? Anyway. Um, so I, yes, charging forward, charging in, leaping forward and, and not hiding behind anything moving aggressively is always the answer to all your problems. It's just knowing which attack to prioritize in any given situation. And I truly adore that kind of improvisational 
lateral thinking in your brain of like, okay, here I'm, I got to do this. I got to do that. I got to do this. I got to do that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I I will say like at, at my peak, I was probably only using like 80% of the system, you know, because I would be like, I would then I'd be like, okay, I'm going to start using flamethrower now. And then I'd forget to use blood punch or I'd start to use the blood punch and I would forget to use the freeze grenade. Like I couldn't keep all of it in my mind at the same time, you know, but, uh, I, I agree. This game does not let you camp or not move and like, you know, wait to regenerate your health and like uh and then go in like you need to keep moving you need to keep attacking and that's what's great about it the other thing it does that that 2016 did as well which is uh i guess it's kind of a doom staple now is that it goes hey look at this crazy creature isn't that the most intense thing you've ever seen how are you even going to get past that oh you got past it good dude wasn't that didn't that feel awesome to get past that crazy creature okay the next room has three of those yeah <laughs> you know you know it's like what <laughs> i will say I lo- the one thing about so i agree with you that's awesome that happened to, I, I think i know exactly what you're talking about because i there, there's this one thing that you beat it and you're like oh my gosh that was an ordeal and then you're dropped down into a thing that has three of those same things yeah and i'm just like oh my gosh i can't believe i'm doing this but the the one exception to the the rule of that i guess is the marauder have you guys met the marauder yet oh um, i might not know it by name what it what, what i have not the the marauder is it okay if i talk about the marauder is that okay i don't know what yeah, fine. i'm aware of the marauder uh it has been talked about <laughs> minor doom tell. eternal spoilers you have heard oh, tell maybe i haven't gotten to it either if it's uh if it's that well known maybe it I is just- the most irritating thing about this game, which is that there is this bad guy, it, harder than any boss fight, like even even the final boss fight is not as annoying as this enemy, which is it's this guy that has this th- he he is um he has like a thing where he can like fire a projectile at you that hurts like hell, and uh, he has a shield that can block any attack you give. And he can send a ghost dog at you to attack you. Um, and the ghost dog takes out heavy amounts of health. And he's only vulnerable when he's about to... He's, it's, it's like the, the tutorial says, do not stand too close because otherwise he'll melee you. Do not stand too far or he'll throw one of those projectiles at you. You, you must stand at a midpoint away from him. <laughs> and then he will, he will then like take his sword, his shield away and attack you. And at that point, that is when you strike and it, it, the problem is there's many problems with it right one is that that middle distance is so inconsistent like no matter how hard i worked i could never get it right where like i felt like i had a handle on it and then as a result what ends up happening is i i that that character never gets integrated into the thing you know when you have like five different creatures coming at you you're like okay i'm going to do this i'm going to do this and then i'm going to do this like and you kind of map out what your activities are with the Marauder. You, you got to throw all that out the window. You can't do any of that stuff because basically you have to wipe out everything else and then take on the Marauder one-to-one. That's what I ended up doing. And that's what I read. Like a lot of people have ended up doing because that character is so irritating. It like breaks the game in my opinion, in a fundamental way, but I'll be curious to hear what you think about it when you get to him. Anyway, Doom Eternal, amazing game, loved the experience uh and uh had a great time with it so yeah the the combat is unmatched awesome that was great that was a great discussion about that christian do you have anything else to add i know you've been playing more of it yeah i found my rhythm i have not found the marauder yet which i'm sure will frustrate me to no end but i have found my my symphony of death and i've been enjoying it more 
And as I talk about the other game I've been playing, I will say that I am a paddle snob now. Um, Ooh, look at you with your fancy paddles. Yeah. Like if I knew that uh, like a scuff controller would work on the PS5, which I don't think they've announced, like Xbox has said, hey, your Elite will work on Series X. If I knew that I could bring over like a fancy PlayStation controller with all the paddles, I would splurge and upgrade my paddle sitch. Right now I just have the Sony branded, you know, two paddle thing, which I love. But uh, I'm a a full paddle convert on Doom. It is jump and dash, and I cannot picture playing it Mm. without that. Hey, can I can I bring up one last thing about Doom Eternal? Please, Um, (laughs) thanks, Christian. Um, (laughs) I'm I'm just curious what you guys think of this. Okay, so I played on normal difficulty for the whole game, and I, I don't think what I'm about to say is a spoiler. It's not a spoiler for the story of the game, certainly. But towards the end, there was a boss battle that was so I kept dying. I died over and over again. And then usually it says load checkpoint, right? Like if you die on a boss, it says load checkpoint. And I died so many times that in, in addition to load checkpoint, there's another option. It said load checkpoint with improved sentinel armor, right? And it's like, wow. here's what sentinel armor does. Uh, absorb less damage from enemies, you know, like, like more health. That's sentinel armor. And I was like... I didn't know how I felt about that because usually, <laughs> usually like when you die in a game, it'll say, yeah. would you like to change the difficulty? You know, it, it's like very patronizing. And I'm like, no, thank you game. I'm, I know what I, I'm, I'm going to keep doing this till I win. Uh, but then this one was like, I, it, it kind of, uh, took, 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 uh, took down my defenses. I have to say, cause it wasn't, do you want to change the difficulty? It was, Hey, do you want this cool sentinel armor? And I'm hey like, Dave, who no one's looking. Yeah. No one yeah. will know. No one will know that you <laughs> had the cool sentinel armor. And by the way, it's improved sentinel armor. It's almost like an upgrade to what you, it's not. <laughs> it's not like you're you a bad it. player. You, you earned a cool you, thing. You earned a cool, some better sentinel armor. Who wouldn't want better sentinel armor? That's uh, actually a brilliant way to do it. Because I'm reminded of, I just recently played um, Sayonara Wild Hearts. Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. That okay. game, you know, not to not to reveal that I died a few times or didn't do well on a few things. But the, if you like smack into the wall too many times in that game, it'll be like, hey, do you want to just skip this part? And I was always like, no, how dare <laughs> you game? How dare you? Uh, but I do like this, like pad my ego with, uh, hey, you want to just, uh, we'll just sweeten the deal a little bit. It's not that you're skipping it or doing anything. Yeah, We're just you're not like skipping, you just want some cool, better armor. I mean, yeah. Just probably, juice it up. We'll juice it up. You probably would have gotten this armor anyway at some point. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um. I will say that I thought I was on the final boss, and so I was like, I'm almost at the end of the game. I want to talk about Doom Eternal on DLC. I'm gonna take the Sentinel armor, and I took the Sentinel armor, and then I beat that boss, and then I discovered that there was a whole other level plus another boss. <sighs> I don't think I'm ever which, gonna beat this game. Which, by the way, then game. asked me if I wanted Sentinel armor as well because I died so many times on that boss as well. So I wanted my humiliation to be short-lived and instead it was extended and brutal so that's my story of doom eternal jeff how far i guess uh, yeah I, the marauder how, how far are you in doom eternal uh as far as one can get before half-life alex comes, comes out and then <laughs> that makes sense i really uh, want to finish it but listening to day I, I don't oof. i stopped i stopped on a um a very intense platforming section where i was just like I'm going to set this down and I'll come back to it. And then I didn't come back to it. Yeah. So uh, I, I played it yesterday, so I'm still in it, but we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but you are playing the uh, new DLC for your favorite game. And, and the 
game of 2019 as far as the show DLC is concerned. Yeah. Oh, so yes. My goodness. So full disclosure, full disclosure, I was provided a code for the foundation, which is the first narrative expansion for control. I was provided a code by NVIDIA um, and I graciously accepted it. I was moments away from purchasing it when I got the email and I was like, uh, I will take that. Um, the foundation, the first narrative expansion for control. I mean, I know the last of us part two is coming out this year, but there's a chance this is my game of the year. Like it is phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. One before I get into like the, the meat and potatoes of, of this expansion or this downloadable campaign. Um, part of the reason NVIDIA gave me the code is that it's one of the games now that supports DL DLSS 2.0 originally control launched on PC. I believe it was with 1.9, 1. 1.5. 1. I'll say 1.9, uh, but 2.0 is like a big revision in DLSS for them. And I'm going to get this wrong. So I apologize to everybody that knows the tech better than I do, but basically it's using AI to have the game run at a lower resolution you know, native resolution, but the AI fills in all the blanks. So it looks like it's at a even higher resolution, but you get a performance gain. It's not as demanding on your computer. I thought control looked beautiful before when I was playing it uh, on my 2070 super. Um, it's, it, it's night and day. It's not the exact same jump as like PS4 pro to PC per se, but it is to just my bare naked eyes, a visible jump in sharpness and clarity and performance in the frame rates I'm able to hit now. Like it took a stunning game and made it so much more crisp where like the fine details of all the writings on the whiteboards and, and stuff like that, everything just looks even better. It, it, it blows me away. I want to play other games that, that use the tech and hopefully others will. Um, so that's DLSS 2.0. The foundation itself, it is in-game content for control. So you're not able to access it until you finish the game. And I don't really want to get into the plot of it, but what it does is that it it takes you the the oldest house is already where this place, the building, the FBI, you know, building in the game where anything and everything can exist within it. And then there's another part of the world, the astral plane, that it's kind of maybe where you're interacting with the board, and it, it's kind of more abstract even than a office building that can change at whim. And the foundation takes place a lot in the world of the astral plane. And so what Remedy is able to do in terms of fantastical designs and mind bending worlds that are like kind of inspired by the real world, but have a platform that's over here and a thing that you kind of need to get to. And then also you're in like this dugout, deep mining site kind of aesthetic for it. Really, really cool and fun level design. And the way that they managed to make a expansion end game plot or narrative that is both satisfying in terms of answering questions at the end of the game while opening up the world in a really interesting and compelling way. I, I cannot, you know, applaud them enough for how they were able to pull it off where it is both, uh, it puts a bow on what you did in the campaign and expands on the world and the universe of, of, you know, the board and Jesse and the department of control and all that stuff in really bold and interesting ways. It is absolutely, absolutely phenomenal. Um, I, I cannot recommend it enough. It's the foundation. It's the narrative DLC for control. I am playing on PC and 
playing that after Doom Eternal, for me personally, I find the combat and the platforming and the pace of control to be much more to my liking for um, how I'm able to engage with enemies, pick them off, use my powers to float, levitate, pull things over, smash into them. There are new abilities and new powers um, in, in this expansion for it. And it is just so fine-tuned and well put together that as soon as I sat back down to play it, I was instantly reminded why it was my favorite game of 2019. And I'm playing now full paddles on my Xbox Elite controller. And it is just, it's it's perfection. I, I love it so, so very much. And it is currently... Christian, yeah. Christian is to paddles as Jeff is to ultra-wide. Yes, yeah, you I am. Except that all games support paddles, right? <laughs> yeah, um, that's true. And Control is currently available on PS Now. So I, you know, I think if you have a PS4 Pro, that's probably the better way to play it. I played some of it on a base PS4 and it played well enough. But if you're on the fence and you haven't played it, that is one way you can play it pretty cheaply. But if you have a PC um, that can do ray tracing and DLS, DLSS 2.0, um, you got to go play this game. And if you've played it already, jump back in. The, the expansion or the DLC is, is well worth the money, in my opinion. It's incredible. Uh, yeah, here's here's my only question. It sounds awesome. Uh, I loved Control when I played it in 2019. It's been, I don't know, six months or whatever since I've, maybe more since I played Control. Uh, is it like is it hard to get back into again? I remember the combat being a little bit complicated. Not Doom Eternal complicated, but I remember needing to like memorize a bunch of things. Like, is it, you know, like riding a bike you, you never forget? Or is it like, did you was there a curve when you started playing it again? No, for me, I jumped right back in. I mean, it was like riding a bike, but I will also say that it does a really good job of easing you into difficult like combat scenarios where like your room is full of, you know, hiss and all these people and you're you're balancing all of your abilities. There are moments that are just kind of platforming and you're just figuring things out and there's a few enemies to attack. So I feel like it, it paces it pretty well in terms of what you're expected to do and how quickly you're expected to learn it. But it doesn't re-tutorialize you. It's not like, here's how you levitate. Here's right. how you dash. Right. But you I have was, time to play with all those buttons. Somebody on Twitter, I, I apologize to whomever that was that I'm, I'm not remembering exactly who, <clears throat> but somebody messaged me on Twitter something about uh, they wish that games had a mid-game tutorial or a, hey, you set our game down for a while right, yeah. and picked it back up tutorial. I think that should be something that should catch on. I think that's a fantastic idea. I remember specifically when the Horizon Zero Dawn DLC came out, jumping back into that, and that game was like, it just assumed that my skill set and that was, was hard. Exactly the same that as first when I fight finished was it. hard. Dude, the first fight in that game is like, hey, welcome to the, the expansion. I'm sure you play exactly as you did when you finished that game. So here you go. Here's a really hard. And he's like, oh, I don't remember how to do anything. Yeah. I did the same and thing with Spider-Man recently. I, I jumped back into the DLC after not playing the game for many, many months. And it was difficult to like relearn everything. Yeah, and that's I mean that's the DLC should do that for sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think that just games in general, because there are a lot of these games that are very very long, and you go, oh, I have an itch to jump back in. I haven't played that in so long, and I I don't want to start at the beginning. I'm going to pick up my save, and maybe I'll finish finally finish this game. And you jump in, and that feeling of just not remembering how to do everything is pretty rotten. And I I know personally I've had situations where I've I've done that and then just kind of turned it back off and go, yeah. I don't, demoralizing. I don't have energy to, yeah, yeah. I don't have the energy to relearn this. It would be great to have just a, 
mid-game, like, hey, remember how to do all this stuff? So maybe there's options for that, but I do think it'd be a little difficult depending on the game. I, I love that idea. I wonder if one of the reasons like more games don't have that, and I feel like I played a game recently that did have something like that, but I feel like a lot of games, the whole game is kind of a tutorial, so I'll use control as an example, right? right. Like you get levitate you're or you get dash your, first, then yeah. you get levitate, then you get your spin gun. Then So it's like you're constantly building, so by the end you're you know, ripping and tearing to steal from doom. So I don't know if people would want to have that again, right? That maybe it's an optional thing, but it's hard where you played a game for 14 hours and by the end you have everything unlocked and then you come into the DLC and you have <laughs> everything unlocked again. It's, it's a harder curve, I think. Yeah, it's certainly not a simple solution, but I think there could be a way to have a situation where really quickly it refamiliarizes you with all of that stuff for control it would be like those uh places what is the um the oblivion place that you go to um, yeah the little the plane or whatever yeah, yeah. you could just like replay those you know that would that's where the game after cool. the dlc is set though so oh i see <laughs> or part of it at <laughs> well, least yeah uh christian the entire world is talking about uh, animal crossing new horizons or at least the entire Twitter world. Yeah. Uh, so I know you've been playing more of that as well. We got to, we got to have some animal crossing love on the show where people won't think we're an actual video game podcast. It remains to be the most delightful gaming experiences I've had this year. Uh, again, I have not picked up the controller as hard as it is for me not to, because uh, watching my seven year old daughter play is kind of like hurting cats where she's like, I'm like, Get, go, go build your freaking house. It's like, but I'm fishing. You caught, You've caught that already. It's not... Uh, go talk to Tom Nook. Go talk to Tom Nook. But there's a butterfly over here, Dad. No one cares about that butterfly. Um, But it, it is still so joyful to watch her play and experience the game. She got um her vaulting stick, which allows her to cross the river in her island. And after she got it, she was so excited. Her and my youngest daughter, who's almost five, they spent the day in our house and we went for our you know get out of the house take the dog on a walk walk like running around the world being like okay pretend this this is water vault over it yeah like just (laughs) doing it in game reflecting it in real life we do art uh as part of our like uh at home school uh thing for a little bit in the day and they i give them prompts and they both wanted to do an animal crossing themed drawing as their prompt and my seven-year-old from memory did a shockingly accurate rendition or i guess cartography of her island like drawing it on a piece of paper with markers i was like did you just draw your island she's like yeah and here's tom nook this is here here's and i was like holy crap this is like shockingly accurate um her and her cousin played again today where they're exchanging things from you know each other's islands and it is just it is a beautiful game that has no ending and whose pace is perfect for, you know, the state of the world we're in right now, right? You know, there are people out there that are trying to rush it and catching a tarantula at night to get your bells or do this, that, and the other. And I think however you want to play it, there really truly is, you know, something enjoyable for almost anyone, whether it's designing baby Yoda shirts, you know, or or redoing the wallpaper in your house, getting your orchard just right of having your trees lined up in a certain way and, how they bloom and and getting your flowers cross pollinated it's it's methodical and relaxing and the ambient sounds are are perfect and the graphics are so pleasing 
it, it's really hard to find a fault with it. The only thing I think is just, it's just not for some people, which is, you know, fine. But what it does, it, it, it does, I think, better than, than the series has ever done. Good time to be staying home and playing video games. There's so much good stuff right now. It's extraordinary. And and half of the things got delayed until the end of the year. Yeah. And and we're still in like this bounty of amazing games. It's it's extraordinary. Yeah. Which brings me to the next bit of the show, which I like to call Half-Life Alex is here, and Christian, let's talk a little bit first about your experience with it, because you have not had a good experience with uh, attempting to play it via Oculus Link, right? Yeah, so I will start by saying that when I put it on, and I'll let you do most of the raving, because I know you will, but I put on my headset, I started playing... I was Oculus linked, which I had talked about before on my Oculus Quest, which had worked flawlessly for me. And I was blown away. Maybe it was just because most of my VR had been Quest, you know, like wire free, not linking. But I was like, and this is what VR games can look like. Just like people have talked about it before, but like dirt under Alex's fingernails. It's yeah. just unbelievable detail in the city uh, and the little moments that I got to see and play. But all I have gotten to, uh, wise, it's very early in the game, is when I get my grav gloves because for I mean, whatever reason. The first three minutes of the game. Yeah, it's, I think it's 15 is literally what it is. For whatever reason, and I have not tried uh, in the past couple of days because of that control DLC, um, it keeps crashing on me in headset where it's like the headset I'll turn and like the screen gets replaced with black, <laughs> you know, like where I look. and But then I look on my monitor like you know for like the um guest mode or whatever to watch on and it's still tracking my headset and tracking my hands but not registering them so like i couldn't get my hands out of the thing with the gloves on like i couldn't pick something up but it would show my hand move it would show my head move and i would need to do a hard force quit and i've tinkered around a little bit but not some some people suggested um, using an HBC, uh, HBC, USB-C dongle and then plugging my USB 2.0 or 3.0 into that that's plugged into a USB-C and that into the um, Quest. I think you said you are going to mail me your official cable. I am um, going to mail you my official cable. Um, but there's also a patch that just hit yesterday as we record this. Okay. I don't know if you've tried since then. I don't know if that patch specifically addresses that, but it's a patch. No, I, uh, I have not tried since the, I, I got that control DLC <laughs> and that and doom. And then also um, this is just too much information for anybody except for you and me, but I ordered a very expensive standing desk and it is now still in boxes in my office, which means my VR space doesn't exist until I build that desk. <laughs> Yeah. which I need to do. Um, so I have not tried it recently, but I want to hear your experience with it because while I am bummed about mine, if people have Oculus Quest anecdotes or fixes, uh, email at christian.spicer at gmail.com. I did some interneting, but I'd love to see if there's something I missed because what I did get to play was absolutely phenomenal and I'm, I'm bummed that I haven't had a better experience with it, but I don't yeah. want that to be the definition of what the game is because I know it's not. You want to play this game. Yes. Uh, in fact, if I had one wish probably be to end the pandemic but if i had two wishes 
uh, it would be <laughs> for everyone to be able to play this game. Um, I feel like, you know, great that you want to end the pandemic with Wish One, but I feel like you still have your priorities out of place there. Mm, mm, mm. Yeah, still second wish, though. <laughs> uh, the, <laughs> the I described Ori and the Will of the Wisps as a masterpiece as well. I know you did, Dave. Uh, there are games that I think are masterpieces. I think I think Control is is a an incredible game. It was worthy of of winning our uh, game of the year in 2019. I think Half Life Alex is a game that I'm grateful I lived to see. Right, I I'm alive at a time where that game happened. <laughs> That's it, it is. It feels like the next place that games are. <laughs> I mean, I am, it, it is the best first person shooter experience I have ever had ever. And it is, it, it starts at a place of kind of being gobsmacked that we can do this right now and then gets better from there. And I had this same feeling when I played half-life two, I had this feeling that, I can't believe video games can do this. And oh my, every level seems to improve. It, the game just keeps getting better, starting from a place of, oh my God, I can't believe I'm witnessing this. And that's how I feel about this game. It is, there's so much brilliant about it. It it definitely does a lot of things that other VR games have done. Uh, it, it is not complete innovation, but it does everything on such a high level and is so beautiful. And I'm there. I'm doing it. I was thinking about specifically Doom Eternal in comparison to this because Doom Eternal is a really, really fun experience. I'm loving that game. It deserves its high marks. We have talked at length how great and fun it is. But Doom Eternal is to an immersive experience, you know, it is about as comparable to how I would feel in a place as Super Mario is, right? It's, it is complete and a complete abstraction. The fact that you are in the first person perspective in Doom Eternal is just an affectation. It has nothing to do with trying to place you in a thing. Well, they did do that for Doom though. They did do Doom VFR. Yes, they did do Doom VFR, and it's it's really fun. I think uh, what you're saying is, if Doom was like third person, it would still function in the same way. Is that what you're saying? Or what I'm saying is, being a first person game does not make me feel like I am experiencing Doom. Like nothing in that, everything in that game is an arcade abstraction, right? You fling yourself across the thing at, at, at wild speeds. There, you are you are instantly teleported next to an enemy to tear its head off. It. You, it doesn't care about reloading. Uh, things just pop. It is an arcade game, and right. that's great. It's great. I love it for its arcade-ness, right? But Half-Life Alex makes me feel like I am in a place. And it does it in a way that is so old school. We have progressed so much since Half-Life 2 came out, where Half-Life 2 is... I would say uh, an exemplar of a school of first person 
video game design that was pre-open world, right? Half-Life 2 is a very linear experience, but it feels like you're in this much larger world because around every corner, through every window, you see a larger snippet of the world. You can't go there. You can't get there. And video games have achieved the you can go there, you can get there in the years since that game was released. You can, you can, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey, you can go, you can visit an entire continent of wild things to see, uh, Skyrim, you, you know, it, it is first person and you can go anywhere, you can get to the top of that mountain you see through the window of a tavern. Half-Life 2 existed in a time where it, you just had to make you feel like that's possible even though it was progressing you through a very specific path. And Half-Life Alex returns to that, but it does it so skillfully, so artfully that the, I'm so convinced that this world exists beyond its borders, that every corner, every thing that I can look through, every vista feels like it is thought out, it exists, it, it is there are people there. There are creatures there. It feels anytime you are in a nook or a cranny and you can look up and see through something, there is detail hidden around every corner. And the actual spaces you are in are not that large, but the world feels large. And everything is rendered with such a level of, of um, fidelity that, it, I mean, I, I have spent minutes in this game just staring at pipes because they look real they look like i i mean i can reach out and, and touch you them love in the game. doing that in real life like i was walking around I, with you and I was like jeff we're, we're, the car's over here and you're like dude dude look at these look at these, these pipes, pipes <laughs> uh we're being attacked jeff no we got head jeff 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 turn around jeff, jeff hey jeff i oh, love jeff pipes. died dave jeff pipes. died he died look at pipes. <laughs> i love i uh, the the way this game uses lighting, the way it uses uh, sort of the fundamentals of classic game design to make a world feel much, much larger than the confines you can actually poke around in is effective. It, it, and, and because it's all around you and everything is physical, you can walk right up to things and stare at them and everything is the same proportion. You're not looking at the world through a window on your television screen or your monitor. You are inside it i can't even begin to tell you how beautiful and transportive that experience is for me it's it's what i've always dreamed of and yes lots of vr games have done a great job of it i still think lone echo is a, a, perhaps an even bigger achievement here because it is com- inventing new forms of interaction and it and isn't traversal. a shooter it reinvented traversal in it a way that traversal, made sense but but also, it you don't kill anything in that game. It's a eight to however many hour experience, six to eight hour, whatever it is, experience that is almost completely violence free, and yet is compelling and heart racing. And anyway, so that game is extraordinary and worth playing for anybody that may have just picked up VR for the first time to play Half Life. Alex, please play Lone Echo in any way you can. It's extraordinary. Okay, so Half Life Alex places you in a place really, really well convinces you that it's a real living world. And I think what it does better than any VR game heretofore is how many objects are touchable, pickupable, 
3D rendered individual things. It, it is it is just chock full of interactive elements. It feels like I'm in a real place because if I'm if I'm searching a a, a crate in Fallout, I push a button. It shows me a menu of what's in that crate. If I'm push, searching a crate in Skyrim, maybe I walk up and I see a few things in that crate. If if I'm searching a crate in Half Life Alex, I reach out. I grab the crate, I turn it upside down and a whole bunch of stuff falls out and I sift through it. And one of the things that VR games have been doing for a while now is in order to not have you have to bend over and pick things up or you know, it, it compensates for the fact that we kind of don't want to actually have to deal with objects the way we deal with objects. A lot of games have done this thing where you can reach out and sort of pull things to you. Half-Life Alex does that as well, but it innovates in such a simple yet brilliant way. You get these gravity guns right at the beginning of the game, which is where Christian is, and they let you manipulate objects, pull objects toward you. But the way you do that isn't you push a button and they come levitating towards you like a lot of VR games are doing. You flick your wrist. You highlight a, a, an object in the game world of which there are numerous objects all around you all the time. I almost never am highlighting an object that I didn't intend to highlight. So there's some voodoo going on there. That's pretty extraordinary that I'm always, I'm always able to do what I intend to do, which is not easy in VR. Um, anyway, when I select an object, I then flick my wrist back and it comes flying at me, no matter how far away it comes flying at me. And then I grab it, I catch it. And then I reach behind my back and place it in my inventory. So like a backpack behind me. So if I get ammo or these little upgradable doodads that you can use, spend to upgrade your weapons, which you are doing constantly in this game. And it's always so fun to search the environment, pull open a drawer, look inside it, sift through things, open cabinets. And there's almost always a reward for going off the beaten path, searching around a corner, looking inside a trash can. They do such a great job of rewarding curiosity, which is one of the things I always love to see a game do. But that experience of highlighting an object, flicking my wrist, it, it's like someone tossed it to me. Then I catch it and putting it in my pack. I have done, no joke, hundreds of times in my playthrough. It never is not fun. It is always fun to be to toss something to myself and catch it and pop it in my bag. It is just a pleasurable physical action. And the game does it, it it's so smart that they did that that way. And that physicality, that's just one tiny example of how this game embraces physicality, which is, I think, a hallmark of touch controls, a hallmark of virtual reality that so many game designers have are discovering more and more. And Half-Life Alex does it to a degree I don't think anybody else is. And it's it's cool because the established design and iconography of the City 17 Half-Life 2 world is already very physical, very mechanical. You know, Dave, on the Slash Filmcast, I rail so often a bit against nanotech, you know, the Marvel movies and, and how Iron Man became this, it just appears out of nowhere and his, his helmet forms around him. Um, you know, Star-Lord's helmet just happens to form around and Spider-Man's suit can just form out of nanotech and it's just magic rather than 
how Iron Man started, which was this very physical, chunky, mechanical operation of things chung, 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 around him. I find that so much more satisfying just on a visceral level, on a, on a tactile level. And in VR, that's even more the case because I'm there and I feel it. The vibration of the controller communicates it. My movements accentuate it. And the the design of Half, Half-Life, of City 17, is all that. Things move chunky. They, 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 there's little bits and bobs that are moving and, and sliding around and, and moving into place. And everything that you do in this game is a crank or a lever or a switch that you have to physically do. Or, you know, when you upgrade your weapon, you unlock these upgrade stations and then place your weapon in it and it moves and there's gears and gyros that you can like peer into. And it's so satisfying all the time. And they just completely go in full bore on all of that. I mean, I, there's so much to talk about with this game. It's so, so great. The storytelling is extraordinary. Uh, the things you, you do, the, how patient this game is in rolling things out over time and constantly one-upping itself and using old tropes that you remember from Half-Life 2. But it's like hours and hours and hours into the game that they go, oh yeah, you remember that? You remember those things? You remember that creature? Yeah. Guess what? In VR, it's going to work a little bit differently. It's going to be a little more crazy. But they also introduce incredible new enemies and incredible new challenges. How you unlock doors in this game. There are mini games for unlocking things, for uh, accomplishing uh, little tasks that are all very physical and fun every single time. I've always been a fan of games that utilize mini games like that, like the Bioshock series, for example, has great mini games for hacking and unlocking stuff. Now these are tactile, physical things where you have to take a, a projection and place your tool on it and move the thing through a, a dizzying array of, of uh, you know, digital projections so that you go the, through the right exact pathway to get to the end to unlock a thing it's all so satisfying so well done so tactile so physical um and there i mean there are some of the most heart pounding edge of your seat encounters in this game doom eternal for example and many modern first person shooters because we have become so adept at navigating these worlds. I mean, you think of the incredible amount of movement and, and uh, um, uh, activity that you go through in Doom Eternal. Half-Life, Alex says, hey, one enemy can be really terrifying and really hard. And it's because you're in that physical space. I have had a more harrowing experience just reloading my gun in this game because there's a, a face hugger right there then then in you know a thousand enemies and the most extreme situation in doom eternal or any other first person shooter you know doom eternal says hey reloading is boring half-life alex says hey reloading can be the most thrilling thing in a game because you're actually feel like you're there and you have to actually deal with the the mechanics, the physicality of doing something, of really doing it, it as stuff is happening all around you. 
And then there are these new enemies where, you know, Half-Life Alex takes shoot the glowy bit and makes it so much more fun. It feels like it is invigorating it with a, a whole new life. I, 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 guys, there's there's so much to talk about. There's also a level. You know how um, classically the Half-Life games, when you enter a new chapter, the title of the chapter comes up in uh, blocky white text on the screen. This game does that as well. And there is a chapter that is called Jeff. And I, I had like 15 seconds where I'm like, did this game just like search my steam information and populate this world with my own name for a second? But no, it's 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 literally a level called Jeff, which is, by the way, one of the greatest, most harrowing first-person shooter levels I have played in my entire life. It is unbelievable. It's it's honestly, if I had one gripe about this game, it it's that it it may be a little too much a horror game. It is really a horror game, uh, and it is it is not for the faint of heart. This game sections of it. You have to go in the dark. And oh, by the way, how many games have just stuck a flashlight on your chest because that's easier? Or even more ridiculous, stuck a flashlight on a gun. Who would ever put a flashlight on the on a gun? I guess maybe some people do, but it seems tactical. Com- yeah, but yeah. It seems ridiculous that y- you would want that, you know, because I mean, I guess you could only look where you're aiming, but yeah. It's like FBI, you hold it, yeah. you know? Where you-, you have to aim everywhere you're looking. You can't not aim at something that you're looking at, you know? So this game lets you look, at, I mean, it puts your flashlight on a hand that's not your gun hand. So you actually have to like manage both of those things at the same time. It's so much more harrowing and so much more uh, pulse pounding and nerve wracking. So anyway, this game is, is not for the faint of heart. It is is very much a horror game. There are sections where I was not breathing and and I mean it is but everything keeps ramping up and by the by you know by a certain point you're like in these incredible firefights that are so thrilling it really is all the hype that you hear about it really is justified. This is a 10 out of 10 by any measure. I I'm blown away by it. I can't even express to you how every level is just like, I can't believe I'm doing this. I can't believe, I can't believe they thought to do this now. It, it does feel like the next half-life game. I never thought we'd get one. It does feel as genre defining and, and medium progressing as half-life two did. And the original half-life did. It is extraordinary that they have to actually create games this this series of games are all about literally pushing the medium forward and they've done it again. I yeah. I love it. That was a lot of me talking. Well, I'm I'm glad you liked it. Um I uh you know, I don't know if I'm going to check it out, Jeff. <laughs> Why cuz it's too is is well, I mean, I'm sure that pure, you know, VRness of of, you know, people having the headsets and all that stuff is a stumbling block and one I get a lot of criticism for online. I know people are really upset that it, it, the barrier to entry financially and other things is high. 
Uh, but is that the sole reason or are you just not interested in the game? I, I guess I would say for me, yeah, that's a that's a big reason. And like, I don't know that anything I've seen or heard about the game makes me feel like it will be that fundamentally different than other VR experiences, which I've had before. You know what I mean? But how can I what, <laughs> how can I express to you that? I've tried for the last 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, to express to you that it, it, it I mean, I am somebody that has played a lot of VR. And I as I said, Lone Echo is a is the only game that I would put in this caliber. Uh because this is it's special. It, it it's it's special. Well, I guess let me ask you this like what how did you experience it? Did you use the new like uh Vive like the the best Vive headset and stuff like that? I did. I have, I've been using the index, which I understand, especially in this climate, this, uh, you know, economically, uh, trying times and scary times. It it, it may be obscene to even kind of suggest that that expensive headset is the one to use. I have had it for a while now. It's not something I newly procured, but it, it does make me realize they clearly were making this game in conjunction with making that headset. Mm. I mean, it, it is that it, it makes me realize just how much better a headset it is than any of the others I have tried. And I've tried many of them, uh, nearly all of them. Um, it is, it, it is so comfortable for hours and hours of extended playtime. The controllers are perfect for this. I mean, there are so many interactions that happen because you can, you know, squeeze the controllers and do things and, and how, how it all works is just, sublime and of course the fidelity of the headset itself is i mean there's no god rays there's i don't see any screen dooring it is you know it's the best of the best so i i highly recommend the index if you at all are able to do that for sure yeah i mean uh, you know i love hearing you describe it and i love that you got a lot out of it but i get for me uh it just the barrier to entry is just so high like just, not even the money it's also just this i don't know that my situation is set up for that um i have a gaming laptop i'm not sure if it's gonna run it in the best way you know what i mean and it's just like and then uh, so those are the things i'm facing in terms of like giving this game a shot you know what i'm saying i need to like buy this very headset and then i need to hook it up i need to make sure my space is okay with it and then uh, it just is like it's too much for me at this moment and maybe that will change in the future but I'm I'm really glad that you uh, got a lot out of it, and I was really looking forward to hearing uh, what you thought of it. And uh, you delivered, Jeff. <laughs> you delivered. <laughs> well, I I think that the takeaway for someone in your position, and certainly a valid position to be in, yeah, a valve did, valve did, mm, nailed it. Uh, is <laughs> I I truly believe that this is a glimpse of the future, and I truly believe. I mean provided we all make it through what we're going through right now. And there is a future. Uh, I truly believe that there will be a time when the level of power required for something like this is going to be trivial. And it, it, the headsets themselves are going to be much less expensive and much more power than what we have now. And you're, you're going to have Oculus quest like experience where experiences where you don't even need a computer. It's just going to be a headset that's standalone. And it's going to be able to play stuff like half-life Alex or better. Uh, and, and I'm, I'm telling you that I feel like I have seen the future and it is incredible. 
And I'm so excited for what video games can do because I'm, I've had this game provides a kind of experience that just hasn't happened yet. We haven't, I haven't had an experience, even, you know, a lot of VR games have provided experiences that were impossible before. And this game just hones that to such a level of quality that you feel like, oh man, here's the future. Here's what the kinds of experiences I can have, the feeling of being in a place and doing, really doing things. Uh, and, and those things are video game things. These are things that it's not mini games. It's not stuff that people wouldn't recognize as being fun video game stuff. This is a super high caliber, top tier video game experience through and through, and yet delivered in a way that feels fresh and exciting and truly truly immersive and pulse pounding. I mean, I don't even know. I don't know the last time I felt this way about, I guess Resident Evil seven kind of made me feel that way, but the way I feel playing this game is, is complete. I bought in completely to what is happening around me. And I've, I feel like I can smell it. You know, you're in the, there's the detail and the level design and the world building and how everything makes sense. And everything tells a story it is, I mean, I'm completely immersed. It's wild. It's, it's the future. Jeff, I, Jeff, to bring it all home, I think that I'm really going to get into this game when it comes out for Nintendo Switch 2. Um, <laughs> yeah. hey, uh, that's when VR, like, the real wave of excitement is going to happen for me. Yeah. All right. Well, I talked a long time about that game. And uh, Christian, I, w- I wish nothing more. I'm, I'm going to send you my cable. I will do everything in my power to make it so you can play this game because um, it's the real deal. It's I am real- very excited. And I was very, bu- like I set aside, you know, chunks of days to play it. And I'm, I'm bummed it didn't work. I'm probably between you and me and no one else listening. I'm probably like three weeks out from being able to have my VR space back. Um, but it is on my to do's. I could, I'm, I'm afraid I'd flail right now. Even like my doing my Jeff feet planted approach. I think I'd get scared and bonk into Oh, that's how I, that's how I play this game. Feet planted, feet planted. Yeah. A smooth movement, but, uh, 45 degree turns feet planted. Yeah. Um, it works. I am very excited. And it, like I said, it graphically was, was stunning when that little bit I got to play and I don't, I, I tweeted this and someone was like, come on. Um, I'm not trying to poo poo this, uh, you know, this game in any way, shape or form, but I do think there's something about VR for me where I don't get as fully immersed the way you do, unless it's like the void style things. Like I'm again, I'm talking about the first 15 minutes, if that of half-life Alex, but like you can like spin a, um, not a Ferris wheel. What are those things at a playground that kids spin on? whatever those are. Oh called. yeah. Merry-go-round. Merry-go-round. Like you can spin one of those and it's just like little things that like, I, I, it's, it, it's like the VR uncan- uncanny Valley where it's like, it is so immersive that it's like the weight of this is wrong. And VR is not the only thing that suffers from that. I think like when we sports came out, I played, had a lot of fun with, I think it might've been the last when it was still called tiger woods, but one of the Wii tiger woods games that used Wii motion plus like I'm not a good golfer by any stretch of the imagination, but I've, played a decent amount um and i was excited for that game and it's like the weight is wrong you know like i'm not swinging a club 
Um, it feels right. different. And VR for me, there's still that weird. It's like I, I, my brain's like push the button, and then when I kind of go through it, I'm like, oh yeah, I didn't push the button. And I don't know what the like haptic suits. I guess uh, the void does it by giving me a real button to, to, to push. But I yeah. do. I say all that to say, but I do appreciate how Half Life Alex seemingly again first 15 minutes uh, approach the sticking your head through things like the game kind of turns off, like it goes orange or whatever. It's like, Hey, no, 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 no. You're not allowed to do that. Like you can't, you can't just stick your head through this geometry and look around, which I thought is a really interesting solution. Cause a lot of other games, you can kind of cheat or break the world that way. Like you can actually stick your arm into a wall and like wanted, was that the, that comic, right? We're putting spin on bullets. Like you can shoot around and through things. If you can get your appendage in there. And I think Half-Life Alex is approaching it in a, a unique way, it seems. But there is that, like that weird disconnect for me of like, the weight's wrong. The weight's wrong. Yeah, I I, I think that's valid. But I, I, I mean, the, the game does a lot of cool things where you can like put your arm through something and, and not that you're not supposed to, but like there's a hole there. And yeah. You can toss, it's, and I imagine the grab gloves help with that weight issue also some because it's like, what does that feel like? <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'm not actually doing that thing. And like I said, it, it's more of a, it's a weird knit for VR. That is a, you know, it's not a hang up, but it's something that I constantly notice the same way I notice like lip syncs that are a little off or whatever, but I'm, I'm very excited to play it. And it does, I think you said it to me via text. Hopefully I'm not revealing something that is private, but it's like half-life Alex is what all VR games would be. If no one cared about making their money back or something like that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a what, Hercule, it's what, Herculean yeah. task. It's what what you can accomplish in VR if you don't care about making your money back. You know, it's, it's, <laughs> it, it just shows you that yeah, if you throw a lot of resources into this, it, it can be extraordinary, and they accomplished it. I mean, I I found myself squatting down in my room, hiding behind something, trying to shoot things, and it, 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 or scrouching down because I need to put my head underneath it to crawl through this tunnel that's dark and I'm flashing my flashlight and I'm seeing all the creepy crawlies all around me. It, I mean, it's, it's so good. It's so good. All right. We're going really, really long and I apologize. So I'm going to do this though. When I get that cable and I get my space, I was going to do it anyway, but I'm going to try to get you to do something too out of this. I'm going to play this game, Half-Life Alex. You, my friend, need to play the ashtray maze in control. I need to play the what? Ashtray, ashtray. maze. Okay. I don't know what that is, but okay. Good. Yeah. Don't look up what it is. You'll know it when you get it. All right. Uh, I kind of danished that game. I, I, I know I should go back to it, but I kind of feel like I danished that game. Yeah, you did. It's okay. There's, it's not as if a lot of games came out just this month. <laughs> yeah, I know. Uh, all right. Um, thank you for letting me rant about that. It's probably not the last time I'll talk about this game because even though Cyberpunk is coming out, this year, I can't imagine anything being more my game of the year than this. It is, it's extraordinary. Okay, let's wrap the show up now with a parting gift. But first, I want to thank Mr. David Chen for being here. Thank you, Dave. It's been a delight having you on this show. It has been a pleasure and an honor. I'm not only a guest on the DLC podcast, I'm also a listener. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, and tell folks where they can keep up with you and all your myriad goings on. Uh, well, I would recommend the podcast Culturally Relevant, which you can find at culturallyrelevantshow.com or find it wherever your podcasts are downloaded. Jeff Kanata and I also do a podcast called The Slash Filmcast, where we review movies every week. So check that out as well. 
and it's it's going to some weird places now, man. Because we're <laughs> the movies are weird. We're we got uncharted weird. waters now. <laughs> Very much like the people in the movie that we're reviewing next week, Portrait of a Lady on Fire. <laughs> Which I have not watched yet. So you would get that joke it. if you'd seen the movie, Jeff. I can't wait to get that joke. Um, Christian Spicer, what do you got going on this week? That annoying thing, that that tease, it's back. It's back. Oh, that's good. I'm so very excited. It's not that's good. It's not this week, but hopefully people I'll be able to talk about it sooner than later. Um, but that's what I have going on. That's annoying. Um, sorry. <laughs> and I don't then- think you are. I'm sorry to be an annoying tease about it. Uh, I don't think you are. I think you enjoy being the annoying tease about it. No, I, for real, I did the first time. Now I'm just mentioning it because it's on again, off again, on again. Um, right. The first time I very much enjoyed it. Yes, I did. Very <laughs> much so. <laughs> um, Twitter's the best way to keep in touch at Spicer. You can also email me, christian.spicer at gmail.com works well. And I usually stream this very show live on my Twitch, which is twitch.tv slash christian spicer and we're typically live 7 15 p.m pacific time on sundays if you want to hang out uh live with us yeah and as dave said i uh, do the slash film cast which you can find at slash filmcast.com you can follow me on twitter at jeff canada which is spelled with two n's and one t and we're doing the dungeon run we're figured out a way to do it from home <clears throat> and the first episode from home that we did happened last wednesday and it was a doozy. It was pretty fun. It's a great jumping on point. If you haven't tried the Dungeon Run yet, the Dungeon Run is my live play Dungeons and Dragons show. Don't be intimidated if you haven't played Dungeons and Dragons. It is a barrel of fun. It is just some friends getting on and f- coming up with a story in real time. And the story we told last Wednesday was wild. It was time travel-y. It involved uh, boats on the sand uh, people hanging off the back of those boats, being grabbed by snake men. Uh, what a what a great time! Uh, and if you like fantasy storytelling, check out the Dungeon Run. I would love for you to tell me how, what you think of it if you've never experienced anything like it. You can find it on YouTube by searching for the Dungeon Run. There, you can find it as an audio podcast by searching for the Dungeon Run wherever you get audio podcasts, or you can watch us live as we record Wednesday night, six p.m. Pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run. All right, let's wrap the show up with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. David Bartholomew Chen, what is your parting gift? So my parting gift this week is a Netflix docuseries that is the talk of the town. Uh, and that would be the seven-part documentary, Tiger King. You guys heard of this, uh, this documentary? Oh, I, I received a text from one David Chen saying, you got to watch this. And I, uh, I've only watched the first episode so far, but it is, it is something. Well, it turns out, so Tiger King is about the seedy underbelly of people who uh, breed and showcase exotic cats. And it turns out that many of these people are in some way mentally unbalanced and or dangerous to themselves and others. And the the documentary Tiger King explores this universe in fairly compelling fashion. Uh, you should watch it just because it's what everyone's talking about and it, it has become a part of our culture. It's like 
you should watch it because it's like the dark night of our age right now. Like everyone's going to know what it is. You know what I mean? Like it's just gonna catch the references, man. You got to catch the references. You, you got to catch it. You want to catch the Tiger King references like Cardi B's dropping things left and right about Tiger King. And don't you want to know what Cardi B's talking about? You know, I know that's what animates me every day. So yeah. Tiger King, it's on Netflix. Check out the first 20 minutes of the first episode. You're going to get pretty quickly whether it's for you. Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got for a parting gift? I guess I have the anecdote for that. Um, I have not watched Tiger King. I'm sure I will at some point because we're all going to clear all of our watch cues at some point. Uh, they can't make new shows. Um, two show. I have a doozy of a parting uh, gift for folks here. Two shows, two albums. Uh, two shows, both on Netflix. Narcos Mexico Season 2, which I think... Uh, I don't think I've talked about on this show before, but I've talked about two people. It... Uh, I really liked Narcos Colombia and I really enjoyed the first season of Mexico, but I didn't think it was as good as the first regular Narcos. Narcos Mexico season two, I think is uh, a step up from the first season of Narcos Mexico. I think it's exquisite. It's that when all the pieces start falling apart <laughs> uh, in a major way. And I think it's a good dramatized, you know, reality thing. Take on that uh, real life uh drug cartels that happened and are still happening but i think it's well-made television the other is ozark season three it's kind of like opposite ends of the spectrum one is they're trying to catch the narcos and the other one is they're becoming the narcos <laughs> but also still trying to be caught by the other narcos but um jason bateman is a, an incredible actor and i think his performance in ozark um i haven't finished season three but what i've watched of it is you know it, he just continues to get better and better in it they're really well done um and then the two albums five seconds of summer their new album calm is out it's really good uh i like their transition from pop punk into more just traditional pop as their last album was as well i think teeth is still my favorite single off the record it's a real you can really get your dancing shoes on a lot of fun and then the weekend's new album the full album has come out now after hours which if you've just listened to blinding light which is a much more danceable song um, the rest of the album has more of an R&B feel to it and it's slower and it's really chill. And I, I think both are exquisite and worth a listen. So it's Narcos Mexico season two, Ozark season three, five seconds of summer album calm and the weekend's new album after hours. Burning through those parting gifts. Well, they're, man. they're all right now. That's the thing I could wait, but they're all, these are all right now things. It's like March gave us everything. It gave us everything. Uh, it's interesting that I think we got more parting gift suggestion emails this week than any week in our history. And I think that's because people are home and they, <laughs> they got recommendations, you know, they got things that they're experiencing. Uh, and we certainly appreciate hearing from all of you, uh, DLC feedback at gmail.com, including this parting gift. This comes from David from Northern Ireland. David says, uh, I've been a listener since the one up days the first time writing in first of all thanks for keeping the show going and being a help while the world burns around us you are both a treat in troubling times i have a different kind of listener suggested parting gift for you i'm from the uk and over here there have been there's been a gardening show running every year since the 60s gardener's world it's a half an hour of practical calmness every week and you'll be surprised at how watching it is a relentlessly positive experience even if you don't have a garden yourself. Monty will talk about planting seeds, pouring, uh, pruning trees, 
feeding wild animals and generally attempting to make the space around us better for us and for nature. There's a saying that planting something is trusting that you will be there to see it tomorrow, and we could all do with that reminder. The show's new series started on the BBC last Friday and will run every week until October. I'm sure your listeners could find it where they are, uh, where they are, or could maybe grab it by using a VPN. Trust me, it's worth a shot. It comes from David from Northern Ireland. I may very well uh, check out Gardener's World. I uh, I could use a bit of that calm in my life, and I think that's a wonderful parting gift. Uh, thank you, David, for sending it in. Um, my parting gift is, uh, I guess, you know, Dave's on the show this week, so maybe I'll do a little, uh, a little film-inspired, even slash film-inspired parting gift. You know that we can't go to movie theaters anymore. They're all shut down for the foreseeable future, but many of the big releases, big recent releases, have been released digitally as a video on demand. Specifically, Amazon Prime is doing what they're calling Prime Cinema. And uh, I want to, I know I mentioned it previously on a parting gift when it was in theaters, but if you didn't catch Onward, the new Pixar film, I really think it's criminally underrated. Disney Plus, April 3rd. I was just going to say that too. It's going to be on Disney Plus. If you have Disney Plus, you don't even need to do the Prime Cinema version. Uh, So next week, or even maybe after you've already heard this, Onward is going to be on Disney Plus. So if you have a Disney Plus subscription, there it will be. I think this one is really just overlooked by even Pixar fans, even Disney fans. It's great. It's a it's a lovely movie and one that is is really heartwarming and, and nice. Also on Amazon Prime Cinema, Bloodshot, the new Vin Diesel superhero flick. We review that this week on the Slash Filmcast, and I think it's better than it, it you might give it credit for. I think this movie suffers from the watch it at home paradigm because the first half hour is pretty terrible, but it has a really cool twist uh, that I think makes it better than its first half hour would lead you to believe. Uh, And it, and I found it really fun. You'll hear if you listen to the slash film cast, our argument about that, but I think it's worth watching. Uh, So if you're looking for a, a kind of a fun escapist superhero flick, you can do worse than bloodshot this week. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Dave Chen and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. Thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for making those awesome bumpers. Thanks to all the folks in our chat rooms for hanging out with us in real time. We appreciate you. And thank you to each and every one of you listening, staying home, doing the right thing, practicing social distancing. We're going to get through this, and we hope to be with you every step of the way here at DLC. Until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.